Red rum. 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 A cure for the common crank. A horror, trash, sci-fi, action podcast. Allow this to be your cure as well. Welcome, listeners, to the new era of a cure for the common Craig because <laughs> it's episode 101, Nicole. That's right. 101. 101! 101 Dalmatians, Nicole! No, 101 episodes, Craig. Oh, of the show. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the only reason it's a new era. I was just being okay. silly. Otherwise, it's just the same. All the same. Same old, same old. Yeah, same old, same old. <laughs> Although this is the second episode in the new studio nicole which is it's getting a little better yeah there's some posters in here now some scary posters are up movie posters of one course. one godzilla guy two, back there two godzilla no no no. i meant that figure that oh. that doll back there yeah not the not the posters yeah there are two of those so far so things are getting, you know, kind of, uh, you know, more, a little... More Craig-like A little here. warmer in here, yeah. yeah. So it's getting there. We're making some progress. Nicole, do you remember that last episode that we did? It was about the Twilight Zone? Course, I think you didn't remember for a second. I, I think you forgot what it was. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Something that we didn't talk about that we need to clean up. Nicole. Okay. We gotta clean it up, brother. One thing, because only one thing. Only, we need to clean only up. one thing. There are probably a million things, but <laughs> the one thing that was important to me was Ron. Ron Serling. Rod. He's mentioned in the past. Now he's he's passed away, so he didn't tell me this. He told someone this back okay. in the past at some point. That he had two favorite episodes, Nicole. Two favorites. If someone said, What's your favorite episode, Rod? He'd say, Well, I kinda like these two episodes. Okay. With a cigarette. Did he write them? I... I threw you off. I asked a question you didn't know. You did. I don't know. The first one he did, it was an adaptation. Because he, one of his favorites is our favorite, Nicole. Oh, okay. Well, uh, you know, our amalgamated combined favorite. Sure. What was that one called? Time Enough. At last. At last. Time Enough at last. Season one... Episode 8, Nicole, Time Enough at Last. One of Rod's two favorites. His other favorite, Nicole, is one that did not make our top 10. But I, Nicole, gave it... I th- I put 8, 9, question mark. So I'm not sure okay. what I finally arrived at for that one. But The Invaders from Season 2... Episode 15, the 51st overall episode of the Twilight Zone original series. The Invaders, now we're gonna, not going to spoil the ending because we spoiled a bunch of other things, so we won't spoil the ending for this one. Okay. But there is a, a woman 
living in this farmhouse, seemingly by herself, and this tiny spacecraft arrives. Oh, yeah. A tiny spacecraft with these little space people that come out of it, and they start, like, shooting at her and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And there's almost no dialogue until the very end. There's finally some dialogue. But it's a, yeah, a an episode without right. a lot of dialogue, especially uh, during the majority of it, yeah. just at the very end. But kind of an interesting, curious little episode, yeah. The Invaders. There's Nicole. a good twist. Does have a classic twist, Nicole. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's all that we'll say about that. But those are two, uh, Rod's two favorites that he happened to mention, Nicole. Yeah. And season two, this is the other thing I wanted to clear up. I think I said season three was the first time they started using the kind of iconic theme song, the most famous Twilight Zone theme song in most people's opinion. Well, it's actually season two they did that. Okay. Only season one had the different theme song, Nicole, from the kind of standard that they used from there on out. So, yes, I blew that one. I just wanted to correct that and clean that up a little bit. (laughs) Clean it up. So, Nicole, I don't know if you've noticed this while we've been living here, but... There are these sand trucks that drive by. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of of sand being transported around. But that wasn't here when I was uh, growing up. When you were growing yeah, up in no. this uh, in this spot. Yeah, that right. wasn't here. That's a new development. Just think if you had discovered that sand, Nicole, you'd be a multimillionaire. Because these people, they love that sand back there. I don't know what's going on back there with that sand, but it's pretty close by. It's right back there. Yeah, right back there. And those people, they really want that sand. So yeah. they bring these trucks, they fill the trucks up with sand, and then they drive them who knows where in a car. Yeah. And you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of that movie, Nicole, from the 80s. Uh, 1985, I believe. Directed by Larry Cohen called The Stuff. <laughs> and in the movie The Stuff, of course, they're after The, the stuff. stuff. yeah. But they find The Stuff originally at the very beginning of the movie. In like a quarry or something. Yeah, you know, right. So they're like, you know, they're looking in there what is that stuff bubbling out of the ground there and this guy he just like puts his finger in it and he doesn't even think he just tastes it it. he just tastes them like why would you just randomly taste something that you found in like a quarry bubbling out of the ground it was delicious Michael. it was delicious so he decided you know they're gonna market (laughs) it they're gonna sell the stuff and of course things don't go well that's right stuff but the stuff that is a movie that we're going to talk about another time, Nicole. <laughs> Not today. Not today. However, these sand trucks, if you hear them going by in the background, we're, we're recording on a sand truck day. Uh, so there could be some noise in the background from the sand truck. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're very sorry about that. And Chuck is here walking around. Uh, come on, guys. What are you doing in here? Give me some attention. Yeah. Let's go. So the sand trucks... That's a thing, Nicole. It's just something we're going to have to deal with. But we got to get the ball rolling here because we got a lot to talk about today, Nicole. That's right. And what we're talking about is this is the first episode in a summer series. We generally like doing some kind of a summer series. Last summer, we kind of did two separate summer series. Nicole, do you remember that? We did yes. one about like Mexican horror. 
You remember that yeah. with a two-parter? Yeah. And then we also did the women directors of horror. We talked about some women directors. I think that was, what, three episodes, I think? Anyway, you can look for those in the archives, listeners, and listen to those episodes again. Because there's some good movies that we covered in there. Maybe you want to watch them. Yeah. Yeah. Both the Mexican horror and those women directors, they both had some great movies in there. So go check them out, listeners. But now, for this summer series, we're doing the summer of the 80s. Because we grew up really in the eighties, right, didn't we? Right. We were born the majority in the of our 70s. childhood. Childhood yeah. in the eighties. You're aging us, Nicole. I know. The I know. the majority of our childhood in the eighties certainly are formative years as children, Nicole. <laughs> so the eighties, I think, you know, very nostalgic uh, time frame for oh, us. Sure, yeah. Certainly with like uh, media. That's why. We have like a cabinet of glasses with cartoon characters like the Smurfs and superheroes, uh, Strawberry Shortcake. Who else is in there, Nicole? Uh, Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry. I think that was before the 80s, but it's okay. Why don't they have Scooby-Doo glasses? I don't know. Is that stupid? Maybe we just never have There's got to be one out there somewhere. We'll have to consult that book that we have if it ever gets unboxed. But yeah, um, I'm sure they're expensive, Nicole. But anyway, so the 80s, a big a big time period for horror as well. So many people look back on the 80s as a very fond time oh, fond for, for time. horror. Yeah, sure. Yes, uh, Lots of big horror franchises began in the 80s and just carried on. Sure. Things like Friday the 13th, things like Nightmare on Elm Street, Nicole. So many things that, uh, you know, became pop culture icons. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to take each year. So for instance, this episode is going to be 1980, Nicole. Okay. So this is 80. This is 1980. Not 81. This is 1980. Okay. So 1980, we're taking that. And most of them, we're going to do an episode per year. But I think there's at least one where two years are combined for a very specific reason. So we'll get to that, Nicole. Okay. We'll get to that later. But this is going to be 1980, okay. Nicole. So both these movies, 1980. Yes. <laughs> both these movies, 1980. And are these our favorites from that year? Not necessarily. Sometimes it's just movies we want to talk about. Because we've already talked about a lot of movies from the 80s. Sure, yeah. Over the course of these podcast episodes. Our 101 now. Yeah. Podcast episodes. So, yes, we've talked about a lot of them. So, this is kind of in lieu of doing a top movies of the 80s. Because, holy shit, the 70s, that was enough of a problem. Yeah. And then the 80s, too. And, yeah, you know, like I said, we've already talked about so many that I think it's just be kind of silly and redundant. So... What we're going to do, talk about a couple of movies from each year, like I said, maybe the one combined year, and then at the end of the episode, Nicole, I have a top five from each year that we're just going to rattle off. Okay. We're not going to go into super depth about it. And your job is to make fun of me for those choices or question (laughs) why I would have selected those movies. Okay. Okay? I I won't have a problem with that. No, I bet you'll do fine. So... We better get to the first movie. And this is a big one, Nicole. This is a big movie. One might even say epic, Nicole. Do we need to call in help? 
you know, I feel I feel a little overwhelmed by it. Mm-hmm. So we might have to get some backup in here. Okay. Uh, for this first movie that we're going to discuss. Okay. So let's let's make a quick phone call and we'll be back, listeners. Okay. Okay, so like we said, this is a this is a big one. It's a big deal, Nicole. So yeah, we had to call in some backup to talk about this movie. We had because, to call in an expert. Yeah, we had to call in uh, an, an expert, a shining expert, because this movie is too intimidating. There's too much going on in the You're movie. You're awful scared. I'm terrified. Uh, so yeah, we gotta we gotta see what we can do here. So we had to call in your big sister. Yes, my big sister in for uh, expert protection to talk about the shining. <laughs> now she's been here before on the podcast. That was when we talked about Salem's Lot. Here's another Stephen King book. Well, yeah, and movie, and movie, and show. <laughs> True. It's all three. It's all three. And probably other things, too. We already said there was a board game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. There, are, You know what? The Shining, there's a lot of media. Yeah. So a couple of things that we want to answer, and I meant to grab my pen and I forgot. So this movie, Amy, the last time she was on the show, when we talked about Salem's Lot, she said that this was her favorite horror movie. Nicole, do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. And last time she had to drive like six and a half, seven That's hours right. to make an appearance on the podcast. This time, how long did it take you, Amy, to this get here? T- this time it was like, you know, 30 minutes. Okay, that's so, pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty then good. you did that's have to good. wait more than an hour for me to get things prepared and, like, take a shower. And, oh, wow, it was a production. That's Clean okay. the litter box. <laughs> wow. But, uh, yeah, so at least you didn't have to travel as far. That, that's yeah. that's much nicer. Yes. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's true. That's what happens when we move closer is, yeah. Uh, yeah, it makes things much easier like that. Well, The Shining, this on the back of the Blu-ray case, it says, according to Jack Kroll from Newsweek, and is this from when it first came out in 1980, this quote? I have no idea. Is this more recent? I don't know, but Jack Kroll calls The Shining the first epic horror film on the back of the Blu-ray case, Nicole and Amy. And I don't know if that's completely accurate, but, I mean, you could make that argument for sure. I mean, there, you know, like Dawn of the Dead came before this, and that one's pretty epic in my opinion. That's my favorite. Yes. But... You know, there aren't that many prior to this that feel like something kind of of this, like, scope, right? Like, right. A, this caliber. Yeah, that there's this much going on. Now, you're saying that this is the best horror movie of all time, Nicole. You're I agreeing did. with Amy. I didn't say that. <laughs> but I did say it's, it's very high caliber. Very high caliber. And is that because it's directed by Stanley Kubrick? Well... It, did, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. Okay. Unless you're Stephen King. Then, then it, hurts it hurts in a big way. So The Shining was released in 1980. 
like both of the movies we're talking about today. This is the summer of the 80s, of course, like we said. So this is part of that. So 1980. It had a limited release beginning on May 23rd, which as of this recording is like two days away uh, in 1980, limited release, but then wide release June 13th of 1980. This was rated R... Rightfully so as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. And it runs two hours and 26 minutes. Pretty epic for a horror movie. Most of the time, a yeah, horror movie around this era, you know, you'd lucky to get 90 minutes out of it. Yeah. We're at two hours and 26 minutes. This is listed on IMDb as a drama horror film. Its budget, apparently, maybe $19 million dollars. Which at the time for a horror movie, holy shit, that's a lot of money. So I guess overall, it ended up making, in its opening weekend, because of the limited release, so it's kind of cheating because it was only on 10 screens. 10 screens, and I think versus The Empire Strikes Back at the same time. So it made $622,000. But it ended up going on to make... Uh, gross domestically $45.6 million uh, domestically and then $47.3 million worldwide. So, you know, it did okay. It did kind of have mixed reviews when it came out. Uh, Some critics were kind of like, what the hell is Stanley Kubrick doing? (laughs) Stephen King was like, what the hell is Stanley Kubrick doing? And other people, you know, thought it was pretty good. So I guess... Over the years, this movie has definitely developed a huge, massive following. Yeah. Uh, we were, yeah, we were talking about the board game. There's all of this marketing. Uh, so many memes on the internet. Oh. I hate the word memes, but so many of those on social media based around The Shining, specifically like Shelley Duvall's like Cigarette Ash is one that you see a lot. And then also, of course, Jack Nicholson chopping through the door and sticking his head through and terrifying Shelley Duvall in the room, in the bathroom, too. Uh, and different faces are inserted instead of Jack's yeah. uh, on these a lot. So, yeah, a lot of pop culture references to uh, The Shining, of course. Uh, are there any other ones? What what else can you think of? Red Rum. Oh, sure, Red Rum. Red that's, Rum. A, that's a common uh, reference that comes around. Blue Jays. <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot of other ones. Yeah. Toys, they're toys. And like the the Grady twins, we're going to get into that. Oh, I have those toys, by the way. You you what? I have Grady twin toys. Oh, okay. It's it's a Halloween decoration, right? And they're stuffed. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. And you push a button on it, and they say, Oh, yes. Come play with us, Danny. Uh, (laughs) Those those scary little kids. Scary little kids. (laughs) Well, so we said Stanley Kubrick, he's the director of The Shining. So, and we're kind of alluding to Stephen King kind of having some problems with that. Um, where do those problems kind of come from, you think? Where, uh, where does this all stem from? The book is just, is just different from the movie, right? I mean, I think specifically the Wendy character, mm-hmm. who in the book is like a beautiful blonde. And I'm sure Stephen King sees Shelley Duvall and is like, What? Like that's, this is that's not, not my Wendy. This is like opposite. Yeah. Like his Stephen King's Wendy is she's never had a problem in her life. You know yeah. she's strong, 
And Shelley Duvall's kind of mousy and quiet and kind of, you know. She does seem frail. She, she seems, seems frail. frail. She seems meek. Yes. Yeah. Meek. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She seems very mm-hmm. meek and um, she seems kind of like an abused woman. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. this this character is, yeah, and Shelley Duvall as, as Wendy uh, is such an important part of The Shining. Uh, prior to this, she had been in some other things. Uh, got her start with Robert Altman in, uh, let's see, a movie. The first one that he cast her in was Brewster McCloud in 1970, and then McCabe and Mrs. Miller in 1971. She was also in his uh, Nashville in 1975. Buffalo Bill and the Indians in 1976. So he worked with her a lot. uh, And I guess kind of noticed her and started casting her in his movies. And that's kind of how she kind of kept going from there. Uh, She makes an appearance in Annie Hall in 1977. Along with three women also in 1977. Before uh, her role here in The Shining. But yeah. uh, The Shining and Shelley Duvall. has been something over the years that there's been a lot of talk about. Because Stanley Kubrick's daughter, uh, Vivian, shot a, like, behind-the-scenes, like, making of The Shining. And in that, it's it's very clear that Stanley Kubrick isn't really being that nice to Shelley Duvall. And there's even, like, there's even a quote in the film that Vivian Kubrick directs called, or uh, there's a quote that says, Stanley Kubrick actually says, don't sympathize with Shelley. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then he says to Shelley Duvall, it doesn't help you. And the reason that he's so abusive to her is because he wants her character to be just a shell. Uh, like there's there's nothing left. And I think, Nicole, I think you said something about like an abused woman. Yeah. And I feel like that's the impression that we're supposed to get. Uh, And, you know, Jack's behavior during the movie certainly kind of alludes to something like that as well. Uh, We don't know entirely what's gone on in their past. We do know that there is the situation where Danny scattered Jack's papers all over the floor. And, uh, yeah, he grabbed him by the arm. And it's just something that, you know, you do all the time with a child is what what she says, Wendy says. Uh You do this kind of thing all the time. But his arm got, like, dislocated or broken. What happened? Was it it broken or dislocated? Mm -hmm. And this is when she's talking to the doctor uh, who comes over after Danny has one of his spells that I guess we'll have to get into at some point. But, yeah, this doctor comes over, and Jackson playing doctor. And the look on her face is just kind of like, Oh wow. oh wow! You know, like really? yeah. this is this, this is, is not just... okay. This isn't something that happens every day with the child. Yeah, and yeah, and you know, it, yes, she reveals that Jack had you know a drinking problem, and yeah. yeah, you know, this is part of it. But so we don't know how deep that abuse runs. There are a lot of theories like, about abuse you know, in the movie too. It doesn't too. have to be physical. I feel like it's a lot of mental abuse too. Oh, sure. Jack's personality is so large. Yes. And hers is so small. It really is. So yeah. I yeah. feel like she's, like you said, a shell, a shadow behind Jack. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and that's, and also the movie was shot uh, in, in order. It was shot sequentially. As and I think part of that too, because most movies are not really done like that. Uh, but I think Kubrick did that specifically because he wanted to kind of see the further deterioration of 
uh, Shelley Duvall in the role as Wendy, uh, which just the geek of that like gives me the the chills because uh, that's uh, that's you know just a weird thing to do to someone, but. Uh, she even says, like, during, I think, Vivian's yeah, film, Vivian's she film, says, yeah. like, you know, that he, she understands what he's trying to do, and, like, it, it feels like she's, you know, giving a really great performance. Uh, it's really hard, you know, she admits. But I think, like, that was something that in the moment she said. I think later on, you know, in retrospect, I think she probably feels a little differently, like maybe he went too far. Um, but, yeah, you know, that's, that is what happened with Shelley Duvall on the movie. Um, also, of course, Jack Nicholson is Jack Torrance, who is the uh, father in this movie and the uh, really kind of the main focus, certainly, yeah. of the movie, probably, mm-hmm. I guess. And, you know, I guess it depends on how you look at it. There are a lot of main focuses in this movie, really. But, uh, yeah, he's the one who, Nicole, you said, yes. really kind of like his presence, uh, you know, towers and basically crushes everyone else around him pretty much. And that's one of the things that Stephen King had a problem yeah. with. Stephen King was like, look, Jack Nicholson comes into this movie, he's already crazy from the <laughs> right. beginning. Yeah. Okay? And in the book, it's more like the hotel gets to Jack and and makes, makes him, him crazy. crazy. Like yeah. the, He's like, this, this is wrong. He can't be crazy coming into it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that, yeah, that's really kind of one of the main problems Stephen King had with Kubrick's version is he cast Jack Nicholson in the mm-hmm. role yeah. and thought, yeah, like like you said, I mean, he's like he's already nuts uh, immediately. So well, and I don't know. It just it, to me, it just seems not having such a a personal relationship with the book mm-hmm. as you two, but from a person coming in and just having seen the movie. It seems like maybe he was just more susceptible to the hotel. Sure. Mm-hmm. Having yeah, yeah. these issues and having that type of personality coming into the hotel means he was open to its influence more. Yeah, right. yeah, definitely. So, yeah, The Shining, the novel was released uh, January 28th of 1977. It was Stephen King's third novel, I believe, if I have that correct. Mm-hmm. And this is actually the second Stephen King movie after Carrie, uh, which was in 1976. So a few years later, uh, The Shining gets the big movie treatment. So yeah, uh, Stanley Kubrick, uh, originally Stephen King did do a script. He did do an adaptation of his own book. And Kubrick said, uh, this is trash, and threw it away. And I don't know if he really said that, but he didn't like it. So he brought in someone else, Diane Johnson, uh, who he wrote the eventual screenplay with uh, Kubrick and Diane Johnson. And yeah, Jack Nicholson, again, in that, we're going to reference that probably numerous times, Vivian Kubrick's uh, making of, he talks about how, uh, you know, the the colors for the script, like there are new pages added to the script and it's like a new color each day. And Jack's like, I don't even bother, you know, reading any more of the script. I just look at like the pages, the new color, whatever the new color is, because it kept evolving and changing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, yeah, Kubrick was definitely playing with this movie a lot. Um, I think in the, I don't know if it's in the documentary Room 237, which we're going to talk about, someone who's interviewed there talks about how before this he had just directed Barry Lyndon. 
And Barry Lyndon is kind of like this, uh, you know, sort of... It's a nice-looking movie, and I... called it boring. Call it, it's boring, it's yeah. boring. Yeah, a little boring, and I feel like a lot of people would think it's boring. I have seen it once, and I keep meaning to watch it again, and probably the reason I haven't watched it again is because... It's it boring. Is, it is kind of a slog <laughs> to get through, but there are very good things about it. But, at least that I remember. So, I'll give it another watch at some point. I didn't hate it when I watched it, but I could see how people would think it's boring. Um, but, yeah, so, after that, you know, hey, you know, maybe he wanted to liven things up yeah. and do something, you know, wild, like The Shining. And, and, yeah, I think, you know, as he was doing it, yeah, it probably had these ideas that he was just kind of throwing in on a daily basis. The movie itself, apparently, uh, the assistant editor... Gordon Stainforth said that it was originally supposed to be shot in about 17 weeks and then actually ended up being more like 51 weeks, which is like a week short of a year. So it took a long time to do this, probably because it kept evolving. Uh, Gosh, there's so much in The Shining. One of the the cool (laughs) things... That uh, that I like that I, I read in preparation for this is Stanley Kubrick, the trailer, and I didn't rewatch the trailer, but I feel like the trailers, most of them are just the blood running out of the elevators. Yeah. And that's yeah. a very iconic scene that yeah. most people who are into horror would certainly know. Probably a lot of people who are not into horror and just like movies in general know, know that. Yeah. The, and that too is like a uh, you know a gif that's out there, of course, used for all kinds of things on the internet and social media. But the elevators with the blood coming out of them, right, or coming out of the side of them, kind of because the doors don't even open, the blood's just coming down the shaft somehow or something. So that was in the trailers with like the slow crawling, you know, like titles and things like that going up the screen, and the MPAA apparently at that point, well, trailers for like all audiences. They wouldn't allow blood in the trailers. If it was like a, a, what they call these days, like a red band trailer that's only approved for like R-rated audiences, then you can show whatever you want, profanity, uh, gore, whatever. But this one was for all audiences, and the MPA is like, hey, you can't show that blood running out of those elevators. And Stanley Kubrick convinced them that it was just rusty water. Rusty water. <laughs> and I thought, my God, that is incredible. The power of Stanley Kubrick just saying, no, no, MPAA, That's that just is just rusty water. rusty water. What are you talking about? So I love that. All right. So the, the, yeah, like, oh, my God, this movie, you know, we could talk about it literally for days. But so there are a lot of kind of like, I think, misconceptions about the location. Yes. For The Shining. Mm-hmm. Like, I think people think you can drive to a hotel in Colorado and you will see The Shining Hotel. Mm-hmm. And that is not the case, I'm afraid. <laughs> so what is, the, what is the story with the hotel? What do we know about this? What do you know about Stephen King and the original inspiration, Amy, yeah, for so, the, the Shining here. So Stephen King and his family, they stayed at the Stanley Hotel, which is in Estes Park in Colorado. And he was inspired while he was here to write The Shining. They stayed in room 217. Mm-hmm. And this is where his inspiration came from. But this is not... 
where this was shot. Yeah. <laughs> Inside is, or out, yeah. nothing was done the at movie the Stanley is Hotel. Not shot there at all, no. And, and yeah, I guess, you know, Stephen King was uh, battling alcoholism at the time, yes. too. So I think yeah. there's a lot of himself, which, you know, writers, you know, of yeah. course, often that happens, but mm-hmm. a lot of himself in the character of Jack Torrance. Yeah, so. The Stanley Hotel, you know, hey, that's the inspiration, but yeah, it has nothing to do with it. The miniseries that came out, when was that? Like in the 90s uh, at some point, 97 maybe-ish yeah, a- or something April like 27th, that? April 27th of 1997. And then I think it was three nights. I think it ran like, I don't know, it, like it started on a Sunday probably. There was probably a Monday and then maybe they skipped Tuesday and had a Wednesday. Kind of depended on yeah. what popular shows were on at the time. But yeah, I think it ran three nights. Yeah. And yeah, it was uh, yeah April 27th, 97 is when it started. So, yeah. yeah, so that was actually shot at the Stanley Hotel. Right. So that is one that was actually there. Also, I believe I saw in the notes somewhere that Dumb and Dumber... Uh, part oh, of that yeah. was also oh, yes. That's That's the the that is true. Yes, I saw so, that yeah. too. Yeah. Anyway, so yes. But yeah, so the, the exterior shot. Like, you know, you see the exterior of the Overlook Hotel. And like, gosh, even like the drive up the hill... Uh, the mountain, the hill, so to get to to get to the mm. overlook that we see at the beginning of the movie in the opening credits. That's not even in Colorado. That is no. in Glacier National Park in Montana, is where that is. So yeah, those uh, those scenes, uh, totally different state as well. But yeah, so the actual exterior of the Overlook Hotel is actually the Timberline Lodge in Mount Hood, Oregon. Huh. Nicole, yes, but then the interiors. They're not there either. You know where those interiors are? Those are sound stages. Sound stages. In England. In England and the UK. They are at, uh, what, Estree? Estree Studio, I believe is what it's called. Elstree. Elstree Studios. Elstree Studios uh, is where where they're located. Yeah. So, yeah, in the UK. So, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, fans. If you want to go to the Shining Hotel, uh, those were sets. Uh, So you you can't do it. And, yeah, like... The interior sets, I think, like Stanley Kubrick, he just kind of, like, pulled ideas. And the set designer, too, the uh, production designer, who was Roy Walker, uh, pulled a lot of ideas from just other hotels that would be kind of similar to this. Yeah, yeah. they had people send in pictures of hotels across Um, the country and came up with this amalgamation Mm -hmm. that is... The Overlook. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. what became the, the Overlook, yeah. And there was one one hotel in particular that uh, I guess was kind of the inspiration for the Colorado Lounge, which is like the big, huge open room in The yeah. Shining, where Jack does his typing. Yeah, it has the huge fireplace. Yeah, and yeah. That. And so that room apparently was inspired by a hotel, the Awani Hotel in Yosemite Valley, uh, is where that one was located. So, yeah, but... Uh, yeah, I, you know, it doesn't exist. That's a soundstage yeah. in the UK. And that soundstage, apparently, the Colorado Lounge set, uh, required 700,000 watts of light to make it look like snowy daylight yeah. outside of those uh-huh. huge windows. Right. And the heat was so intense that it caught fire <laughs> and burned down. Luckily, all the scenes were completed uh, that they needed to shoot. But yeah, that set was eventually rebuilt uh, and then used uh, for uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark for the uh, with a higher ceiling for the Well of the Souls and Raiders of the Lost Ark. It said in the notes. Um, so 
yeah, uh, all these cool sets. Yeah, that, I'm sorry. There, it's no hotel they're, that you can go they're to. They're not real. Yeah, it's just nope. not real. But uh, yeah, even like even the hedge maze because there's a famous hedge yeah. maze, mm-hmm. and the hedge maze is real at the Stanley, isn't that right? It is at the Stanley, but yeah. I believe it's only been there for maybe. Ten-ish years. Okay, so it's a relatively so it's, recent development. Yeah. 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 So, Do you think it was made because of this movie? I would movie guess and probably. Because I would think so. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and the, book, the book does not have a hedge maze. The book has topiary animals instead, oh, and they yeah. come to life. But Kubrick thought... There's no way we can pull this off. Yeah, we can't yeah, make, you yeah. know, the CGI in 1980, you know, yeah. no, it no. wasn't going to work. So he did the hedge maze. He yeah, thought it was going to look a little bit too silly. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. The, I believe the topiary animals do appear in that miniseries, but I, I don't remember so. how yeah. they look or anything. Yeah. I can't yeah. I can't speak to that. But, uh, yeah, so the hedge maze, also not real. And you're thinking, how did, how did they pull that off? Well... With uh, chicken wire, uh, branches weaved into chicken wire on uh, plywood boxes, apparently. And yeah, I guess that part of the set uh, was big, but not as big as it looks. Like, they were very good at, like, kind of disguising Disguising that with the camera. Yeah, Yeah. kind of making it look much more uh, massive than it actually was, too. Uh, The snow uh, was, like, 900 tons of salt and crushed styrofoam, apparently. So, uh, not actual st- snow, but 900 tons of salt and styrofoam. Weird. And also, yeah, apparently, because parts of The Empire Strikes Back were being filmed at that same studio, some of that snow, fake snow, was yeah. used for Hoth uh, in The Empire Strikes Back <laughs> as well. So, uh, gosh, yeah, a lot of weird little production things uh, going on. But, yeah, the, uh, the movie itself, of course, what, Nicole, what happens what is the whole setup now that we're like an hour into talking about the show? <laughs> what's uh, what's going on in this movie? So you have Jack Torrance. Jack Torrance, and he is a he's 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 interviewing for a job. So he he wants this job at the Overlook Hotel, basically during their closed season during the winter, because um, it would cost too money too much money to keep the hotel open because of so, the snow, because the of the winter. snow. And the so they explain all that in the movie. Sure. So they close the hotel down. Like I don't know, it was several months. It was a yeah, long time. It was time. like I don't know, like eight months. Like maybe. a it was long a good time. Of time. Yeah. So they have to have a caretaker stay at the hotel this whole time. So Jack has you know a wife and a son. So you don't want pipes to freeze. That's right. You gotta um, run the water. Sorry. That's right. You gotta run the water. You gotta heat the boiler. Heat right? the boiler. Heat oh my god! Different part of the hotel. So, so Jack has become the caretaker, and he's gonna work on his novel during this time off. You know, so his wife Wendy and his son Danny are going with him. So it's gonna be the three of them in the hotel. Yeah. And basically, that's the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This family lives in this hotel as basically the caretakers yeah. in the movie. I got to be honest. Wendy's the only one doing any work around the hotel. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. She's the only one that's like consulting <laughs> her like little manifest. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. Working. Going around working the boiler and working the rooms and stuff. Yeah. You know, being Jack's in the just kitchen. pretending yeah. to type the yeah. whole time. He's like throwing a tennis ball against the wall yeah. all the time. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that was apparently his idea yeah. as well. I saw yeah. Notes too, yeah, yeah. Jack's, so, uh, Jack Jack Nicholson. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. his idea. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, so things things are a little strange here at the Overlook. Yeah. 
we, I, we see the, the family being shown around the hotel. You got uh, Barry Nelson playing Stuart Ullman. And he's got a buddy with him as well. I don't know if I wrote down his name. I, I really like his hair. Yeah. Barry he's Nelson's got some hair. nice yeah. hair. He's got, got like some a, nice, uh, nice yeah. 80s hair. Yeah. Big 80s hair. Uh-huh. He's shown around the hotel. And yeah, they're, you know, looking at everything. And they end up ditching Danny. Who's the son? With this guy, Dick Halloran. And Dick Halloran, of course, is played by Scatman Crothers, uh-huh. who Jack Nicholson recommended for the movie because of, I'm sure, their time together on, like, One Flew of the Cuckoo's yeah. Nest. Uh-huh. They were not together, so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so what is, what's special about Dick Halloran? What's kind of interesting here so, when Danny and Dick get some ice cream together? So, I think Dick recognizes... You know, a kindred spirit in Danny. Um, a little Danny. A little Danny. They, you know, he calls it the shining. Of course, if you know, you know, people who shine, people who have a extra, an extra sense of things. So um, basically, they have you know, special a specialness about them. Yes. A specialness and a special relationship, not in a creepy way, right? Between uh, Danny and uh, Dick Halloran, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, Dick talks about how he and his grandma could have conversations without ever opening their mouths, yeah, without ever opening their mouths, uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah. So, Danny, though, he's got, he's got kind of a weird feeling about this place because. Danny has a little friend that lives in his mouth. A little boy that lives in his mouth. Tony. And his name's Mm -hmm. Tony. Mm -hmm. And we see Tony on screen as Danny kind of moving his finger up and down. Yes. And Danny is played by Danny Lloyd. And Nicole asks, like, you know, was he in anything else after this? And not really. Not really. And he was so good. He's really good. Apparently it was like 4,000 kids, like, audition for Danny's role. Uh, and yeah, you know, like over like a period of months, yeah. but mm-hmm. yeah, like uh, just a crazy amount of people, but they ended up with, uh, with Danny here. Do in, you think uh, his experience led him not to pursue acting? You know, I wonder, <laughs> although Stanley Kubrick said to have been like very, very nice yeah. to Danny on the set, uh, really kind of made sure he was taken care of. And I yeah. think Danny was, he was more likely to be okay with doing like so many takes because mm-hmm. you know, Kubrick is... Famous yes, for notorious. 80, 100 takes. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, like, Scatman Crothers is just like, you yeah. know, I can't do this again. And Danny's <laughs> yeah. just like, okay, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Yep. So, let's do it. But, you know, he probably didn't know. You know, he was a kid. You yeah. know, he didn't know any better. He hadn't so, done a movie before this. Yeah. How did he know? That's yeah. not how it went, right? And, so. yeah, like, I think he even talks about, like, uh, in Vivian Kubrick's documentary, there are a couple of interviews with Danny Lloyd. And, yeah, he's talking about, like, uh, you know, he didn't know how much money he was going to get he for the thought, movie. He thought he like was going to get like, a couple hundred dollars. Yeah, a couple hundred dollars. He's like, I like. probably have like more money, like seven hundred. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. He. Yeah. It was just a, a new, fresh experience for him. But yeah, you mentioned Scatman Crothers, and like, yeah, he's like crying because of so many takes. Yeah. And yeah, I think he. Yeah, it was like a hundred takes or something for a scene, and yeah, he, he just. 
He was having a very hard time with it. Yeah. As was Shelley Duvall, as yes. we know. I think Jack Nicholson was as well, because I read a couple of quotes where he would say something to, uh, like, scenes with another actor. He would say, that was pretty good, right, Stanley? And, like, yeah, that was pretty good. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Like, oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sure everyone got really, really tired of it. Uh, but, yeah, so they they talk about uh, this, this hotel. And, like we said, Tony had already shown... Danny, some sneak peeks of the Overlook Hotel while his dad was getting interviewed for the job. And Tony already told Danny, well, your dad's dad's got got the the job. job. Yeah, Yeah. he's got it. So, yeah, he's already seen some pretty, like, creepy things in these visions that uh, Tony gives But I don't think Danny always remembers what Tony shows Yeah, it seems like maybe not always. Maybe he just kind of has, like, these impressions uh, from these visions that he gets. But... Yeah, Danny asks Dick specifically if he's scared of this place. And well, is there Dick, something Dick, bad here? Dick um, was talking about room. Well, I think I think that comes up later because, yeah, he asks if there's something bad here. And Dick's kind of hesitant about it. And he talks about, like, traces, you know? Yeah. Like, sometimes there's these places that have, like, traces. But that, you know, they they can't hurt you. They're like... Yeah. Pictures in a book. Pictures in Pictures a book. Pictures in a book, Danny. Yeah. So there are these traces of things that happened in the past, and not all of them are good. Yeah. You know, but hey, it's just, it's pictures in a book. Uh, but then he asks about room 237. <laughs> and he says, you're scared of room 237, ain't you? Yeah. And Dick's going, oh, no, no, oh, no. Yeah, and you're oh, like, no. uh, you're <laughs> lying. You're lying. Uh-huh. So in the movie, it is room 237. Three seven mm-hmm. instead of two one seven, right? And we don't know necessarily why Stanley Kubrick made that change. Maybe it was just to spite Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Not really sure because there's this rumor that like the hotel didn't want him to use two three seven because people would be afraid to stay in that room. Uh-huh. But then apparently that room doesn't even exist at that hotel anyway. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it doesn't make any sense that theory. <laughs> and now I I just read when I was looking up things for this. Uh, that that Timberline Lodge, the most requested room there uh-huh. is room 217. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you know. So, it, you know, yeah, it is what it is. But, yeah, so Dick and Danny, you know, yeah, this is, uh, you know, a, a relationship that might, or connection, I guess, that might evolve a little bit yeah. uh, here as the movie uh, continues. But, yeah, we, we know that... Uh, Wendy and Jack, they kind of start to have these issues between them. He's uh, pretty nasty. I feel like this hotel gets to him, like, really quickly. Really very quickly. quickly. Like, very, and he says at one point that he can't sleep, so maybe that has something no, to do yeah. with it. You know, you're not sleeping and all this stuff going on. And you know, I mean, don't you feel like Jack has some shining. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. Do all I of them think have I, some shining? So, uh, I, as, I was, so. as I was yeah. watching, I had the feeling, too, I'm like, Danny got the shining from both parents. I think Wendy and Jack both have it. Yeah. And maybe that's why, you know, it's so intense for Danny. Yeah. 
Because, you know, both of his parents have it. Well, because they both see things at the hotel. Right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, yeah, I don't know. You can you can see, you know, like opposites attract, right? But maybe, you know, the personalities, you know, being so different, uh, Jack and Wendy, maybe, you know, The Shining, you know, kind of brought them together. I don't know. So, yeah, Jack, he's he starts to get pretty, pretty nasty pretty quickly with Wendy. Like, he just seems to be really short-tempered, ill-tempered, and... the You know, the other two going along, doing their thing, and Jack is just, like, crazy yeah, immediately. immediately. Like, it's just... Well, that one scene um, where Wendy and Danny are playing outside, and Jack is standing at the window, slack-jawed. What, what is he doing? Show me your face. Yeah, I kind of like that. And his face is kind of, <laughs> yeah. like, pointed down. Pointed down. down. Like, like his, it, he's, he's looking got up. His, and his, yeah, his eyes are looking down at the top of his forehead. Down. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, and it's and he looks very pale, too, because yeah. there's, mm-hmm. like we said, all of this uh, intense heated light, uh, 700,000 watts of uh, light pouring in those windows uh, to make it look like daylight on this set. And, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, he, he just does not look very good. He doesn't look good. healthy, uh, There's he's, he's had, like, a psychotic break at this point yeah. or something. Yeah. So, even, even, even think, if he didn't have I don't even before. think they've been there that long. I think it was, like, a month, like a little a bit month, more than maybe? a month at that yeah. point. Like, yeah, you got so, several months to go, man. <laughs> yeah, I think it said, like, a month to pass. But, yeah, so... But yeah, so Danny, he's he likes rolling around the hotel. He's rolling around on his big wheel. And we get that cool sound effect. I love that sound. Uh-huh. He's so he's awesome. He's on the carpet. Then he'll hit the hard wood. Then he's back on the carpet. So it kind of goes back and forth. So a lot of good sound elements. That's in one the of show. my yeah. favorite things is him hitting that carpet and hitting yeah. that floor. I, I just, I really like yeah. it. Yeah. And the camera being down on sure. his level. Yeah. yeah. And basically, yeah, you're just following him. You're following him through the hotel from his perspective, kind of, you know, yeah. right behind him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you don't know what's around any corner. What what could, what could be around this corner? Yeah. Is this corner going to be, you know, like, uh, I don't know, a, a tennis ball on the floor? Is it going to be like his yeah. toy trucks? So is it gonna be his mom? The twins. Is it gonna be yeah, a couple of twins. couple of girls like, there who are like are they twins? Cha- are they really the they're not, they're twins. not twins? They right. say uh, Omen says at the beginning of the movie that they're different that they're ages. like eight and ten. Yeah. yeah. So this is one of the things that bothers me the most about marketing and merchandising yeah. for The Shining is they're always branded as the Grady twins, but they are not twins in the book. And they are not twins yeah, they're not in the twins. movie. Yeah. And in the book, right, they're not even like, uh, they're like mentioned, but they're not like, like Kubrick turned them into something for yeah. this movie. Yeah. Uh, that's not something that really happens uh, a lot in the, uh, the book. But the Grady twins, who are not twins because they're eight <laughs> and nine or eight and ten. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah oh gosh. It's so, it's so weird. Like action figures they'll be like action figures like the Grady twins and like I feel like I haven't purchased those little cartoony like Toonie Terror ones because, because they're listed as the Grady twins like they're not twins, twins damn it <laughs> so yes uh, anyway but yeah so gosh and the, you know those those rolling sound effects you know we recently moved and you know we got like a, a new TV because I told Nicole you got to get a new TV when you move and then like a new like sound system too and I did crank up the volume when we watched it the other night and oh man it sounded so good so like those the sounds are so good but also like the score in this the movie score the score is, is just awesome absolutely haunting and terrifying 
Okay, so the soundtrack is by Wendy Carlos. Yeah, and yeah, it's a uh, and, and gosh, yeah, it says here the yeah the main title written by Wendy Carlos and Rachel Elkind. Uh, yeah, so gosh, yeah, the the score for this movie absolutely haunting, especially at the beginning, like when they're like going up the mountain in the car. Oh my gosh, it's terrifying, yeah. and you haven't even gotten yeah. anywhere yet. It really, <laughs> really kind of sets things up, you know, really really nicely. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, we were talking about Danny rolling around and. Around in those corners, and bang, there are the uh, the Grady twins uh, are right there uh, around the corner. And, you know, they, they show him um, some kind of, uh, you know, not so great things. Because, like, they're in the hallway, and, like, it'll flash kind of subliminally, but too fast for it to be actually, or yeah. too slow for it to be an actual subliminal message. But, yeah, you see him, like, hacked up in the hallway... Uh, bloody, there's blood all over the place, and Danny's like, you know, terrified, of course. I mean, I would be terrified as well. And Tony, Tony tells him, just like pictures in a book, Danny, Danny, it isn't real. Yeah. Just pictures in a book. So don't worry about it, okay? All right? All right. Okay. So he'll cover his eyes. And then after it goes away, you know, he's fine. Although I think the scene cuts. You like after that. So we don't know how long he's sitting there in the hallway with uh-huh. the Grady twins. Uh, we don't know. We don't know how long it's happening. We're not sure. So Nicole noticed something weird. And this is one of those weird things in The Shining. Is Wendy and Danny are watching a movie in the Colorado lounge. Jack's sleeping upstairs. And Nicole said, the TV doesn't even have a cord. <laughs> so they're watching a movie. There's no cord for the television, and it's just one of those things that yeah. is a little strange. Now, I think I mentioned it earlier, but there's the movie documentary kind of uh, called Room 237, and that's one of the things that gets mentioned on there, along with a number of other you know crazy theories. We'll talk about that a little bit more toward the end, but I don't know. Is Kubrick doing things like this to just, like, fuck with you? He just wants you to feel uncomfortable? Yes. So Nicole's watching the movie and she's like, that TV doesn't even have a cord. How does that even work? And it's just like, not right. Yeah. There are so many things in this movie, I think, that are just not right. And, and you don't I, even, think, I don't even think you notice them yeah. all the time. There's just, I think it's just making you feel weird. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And maybe you don't even like consciously notice it. Yeah. yeah. But then you're like noticing it somewhere in your mind. And you're mm-hmm. like, well, that's kind of strange. You know, like, yeah, is, is this even reality at this point? You know, I don't know. So Danny ends up going upstairs, goes upstairs, has a heart to heart with Jack because he like, wants to get his fire truck. And then like, Wendy, why would you let him go up yeah. there? Yes. You already know things are tense. J- Danny, you don't need the fire truck right now. No. Yeah. Yeah, you don't don't even. You go got up there. other toys. Play with those. And I'm even kind of like, why does Danny even want to go up yeah. there? Like he knows mm-hmm. his dad. Like talking to his dad is just like you know on eggshells anyway, right? Right. So if he's sleeping, do you really want to go get your fire truck? You really want to even yeah. chance it? But and you know, I, Danny's I, like. I love what? how he goes in there, and you're. It's like your. You're Danny. Like, the camera is Danny's perspective. And you see Jack just sitting on the edge of the bed. And, like, if you were Danny, wouldn't you just run out? <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. You know? So, he goes in. And they, you know, they have a little a little heart-to-heart. A little talk. And, and, but it's creepy because he's, like, 
come sit on my lap. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I mean, I guess it's your own child, but... Your own child, sure. Your own child can sit on your lap, but it's just the way it's done is kind of odd. Yeah, it's, it is an awkward scene. And, yeah, Danny asks Jack, his dad, if if he likes the hotel. Do you like it? And, and of course, what does Jack say? Yes, he loves uh-huh. it. He loves it. But what does he want to do? What does he What does he wish he they could do? Stay, stay here, they could stay forever, here forever, ever, and, and ever, and ever. And the way that Jack says that, uh-huh. of course, echoes what Danny heard earlier From with the those twins. Grady uh-huh. girls. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, what did they say to Danny? Come play with us forever and ever and ever. Yes. Uh-huh. So... It's a weird connection, and it, clearly it's intentional, you know? But, yeah, so, and then Danny, after that, he's kind of like, Hey, uh, Dad, you never hurt me and Mommy, would you? Like, you never, you never hurt us. And he's like, uh, what? Did your mom say something like that to you yeah. that I would hurt you? And, yeah, see, I don't know. There's a lot of weird tension yeah. in that whole relationship this triangle mm-hmm. of the parents and Danny definitely uh so when do we hear that I don't think it I think it's later Jack is talking to Grady in the bathroom mm-hmm. like the bathroom scene yeah um I think that scene's fantastic oh of I course. mean just their conversation like nothing happens except for their conversation oh yeah but yeah. it's so weird yeah and, and we'll yeah we're, we're gonna talk about Grady well okay let's let's we'll, we'll, we'll hold off and we'll talk okay. about him in a little bit because there's some I kind of wanted important. to jump ahead because there's something I love important that about Grady but but yeah so the Danny after that whole scene and he's playing with his cars on the carpet and a ball rolls into the shot and where does that ball come from it seems uh, to be coming from room. the open door of room 237 yeah so is this the ball that Jack was playing with? You know, before? I don't know. Maybe? You know, like, now it's in room 237? I I don't know. And so, Danny starts calling into the room for his mom. Mom, are you there? Mom? And no, Wendy's, Wendy's not in there. Because we see then Wendy working elsewhere in the hotel. Jack starts moaning in his sleep. He's, like, asleep, and he's, like... Having these crazy, like, screams and moans. And Wendy, like, wakes him up... And, Tells her about this dream that he had. He had a nightmare. Chopped him up into little bitty pieces. And, you know, if your husband tells you that, and he already seems a little unhinged. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe that's not the greatest thing. Yeah. But then who comes into the room? So Danny, but so Danny is, he kind of is obsessed with this room now, though, because he'd asked Dick in the beginning if he was scared of it. And when he was riding by on his big wheel, he saw the room. So he, and then why, if you're obsessed with this room, was why was he playing right outside of it? Because he was obsessed with it. I know, but <laughs> if he thinks there's something bad in there, yeah, why would you dro- stick around to it? I guess it's yes. very intriguing. Yeah, he, he can't stay away from it. I, and then, so he does go into that room. Well, right, and yeah, and and that's what I'm saying is he comes he comes into the Colorado yeah. Lounge then, mm-hmm. and he's all disheveled. His sweater is like kind of torn. He's got like a bruise on his neck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he comes in, and Wendy's like, D- 
Danny, why won't you mind me? You know, like, leave the room. I'm talking to your dad, who just told me about a dream where he chopped us up. Mm-hmm. You're like, get out of here. And, no, he, Danny's like, he's like sucking on his thumb. And he's yeah. like, clearly, you know, as as childlike as he can be. Because he's and, trying to basically and, and, protect and, and himself. Is Tony there at the time? And Tony's not, well, Tony's Tony, there. Because Tony's, Tony's always there. But yeah. he's, he's not saying anything. Yeah. Because he's uh, been scarred. Because something in room 237... We later learn Wendy says a crazy woman trying to attack Danny in one of the rooms. So, Jack, after going to the bar and talking to Lloyd, who we haven't really talked about, but yeah, he goes into the bar and Jack still is not drinking and he's still not drinking there because the alcohol is not real and the alcohol has been removed from the building. So, I mean, I guess it's dream alcohol. But yeah, he goes in and talks to Lloyd about Wendy and like, you know the relationship and Danny and everything and but then Wendy comes in and is like yeah you know like this there's crazy a, woman attacked him there's a woman in the hotel so where know. does where does he go then where does Jack go he goes checks out He's the room gotta go check it out gotta go right? check out room 237 and when he does what does he find in there so in the bathroom which I happen to love that bathroom, that by the way. It's just that crazy, isn't it? What about the peacock looking carpet before <laughs> yeah, the bathroom? Yeah. What about that? It's pretty cool, yeah. the scenes, but I I happen to love that bathroom. It's really cool. I'm glad you love it. Yeah. that chrome everywhere. Yeah, it's really neat. And then it's green. And it's green. It's green. The toilet's green. Yeah, the, bath, the bathtub's green. Well, anyway. You see this creepy woman get out of the tub. Creepy naked woman in the bathtub. Yeah. But. She's kind of I mean, she's kind of attractive, attractive at this yeah. point, right? Yeah. She's and, all attractive. Yeah, you know, kind of like, yeah. Slinky walking to right. Jack, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, definitely inviting Jack for some sort of an interaction. Yeah. Let's, let's have an interaction here. Yeah. And. And Jack does. He's, he's like, like, okay. Yeah, right. So, Yes. And when he, when they, you know, they embrace and like they're kissing, what happens then? <laughs> She's not as attractive anymore. <laughs> what does he see in the mirror, in uh, the reflection? And decayed, um, some body. rotting flesh? Yeah. yeah. Decayed body. Yes. So this woman is actually <laughs> much older than originally he thought. Yeah. Uh, rotting, a rotting dead corpse. Also mm-hmm. naked. And, yeah, these are uh, two people playing this character, of course. Uh, Leah Beldum and Billy Gibson uh, playing young and old, respectively. So, yeah, uh, this is one of those iconic scenes. Because here, too, the score in the background is kind of like this throbbing, like, heartbeat sound. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that if the images on the screen weren't, like, so terrifying, it might just soothe you to sleep. You might just go right to sleep. <laughs> the movie Dr. Sleep... The sequel to Stanley yeah. Kubrick's *The Shining*, essentially, it uh, it uses that too. And in the theater, when I saw that, I was like, "Oh man, I I'm ready for bed right now," uh, just because it felt so good, just uh, felt so soothing. But yeah, so gosh, yeah, definitely an iconic scene in *The Shining*. The whole uh, room two three seven situation. But yeah, yeah. These, these women that played these parts, they were never in another movie, either one of them. Yeah. Really? Never yeah. did anything again. And I thought, was that Kubrick's fault too? I don't know. <laughs> you know, who knows? Maybe they're like, man, this was like a thousand takes. We're never doing this <laughs> we're again. We're never doing this again. Maybe. Yeah. So, 
as as this is happening, we see both Dick Halloran and Danny like freaking out with their shining abilities because of what Jack is experiencing in Room Two Three Seven. Those are like cut into the scene. Uh, we bounce back and forth, and we'll see their reactions, you know, to what's happening in there. So clearly, you're not supposed to be in that room interacting. Yeah. This is a, a bad situation. Well, Nicole, you wanted to talk about Delbert Grady, or is it Charles Grady? Yeah. Who is it? Who is it? Because at the beginning of the movie, they tell Jack about, oh yeah, you know, we got to tell you this before you take the job, this guy... Charles Grady, well, he killed his wife and kids with an axe. You know, it's no big deal, but it happened. we got to tell you about it. He was the caretaker. Yeah, he was the caretaker. In the 70s. Same job that, you know, you're going to take, but, uh, yeah, don't worry about it. That's not going to happen again. No, no big deal. So, Jack, he doesn't care. He takes the job anyway. No big deal. Yeah, so, um, but, yeah, he meets Delbert Grady who spills some drinks on Jack when he goes back to yeah. that bar into the gold room, they call it, in the movie. Um, and yeah, there are all these guests in there now. And wow. like, where did, where did all these it's guests come from? It's a party now. Yeah. It's a party. It's a party going on. He gets drinks spilled on him. So Grady takes him to the bathroom to clean him up. And this, Nicole, is the scene that you love I in do. the bathroom. I do. just, their conversation is so... So, yeah. Weird. And, and then... Jack does. He goes, I know who you are. Yeah. And he, he says, yeah, uh, you're the guy. You're the guy. Who chopped up his wife and kids. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I, no, I don't know. I, I didn't call that. that. I don't, I don't know recall what you're that. About. Yeah. yeah. I don't have any uh, memory of that at all. And he also says that Jack has always been the caretaker. Yeah. You've always been the caretaker. Mm-hmm. And then he says, I've always been here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he talks about the the terminology, the specific word that he uses is that he corrected, he corrected his family, exactly. his wife and kids. They were corrected, yeah, they, and that I maybe, corrected them. Yes, Danny's a very willful boy, and he thinks he that needs some correcting. Wendy and Danny, they need to be corrected as well. Yes. yes. So yeah, it is a that uh, gave me goosebumps. Yeah, me too, Nicole. Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a weird scene. So, what is the deal with Jack, and what is the deal with Charles, or is it Delbert Grady? So I was looking around for some theories about this, and there's a theory that basically there are two of each of them. There's two Grady's and two Jack Torrances. Jack Torrance just happens to have the same name twice because it's a common name, Jack. So he just, you know, lucks into having the same name twice. So a little bit of a spoiler here, I guess, but we've spoiled everything, so it doesn't matter. But at the end of the movie, there's the photograph of Jack in the Overlook Hotel yeah. from, what, 1921? Yes, July so, 4th. Yeah, the July 4th uh, Independence Day party. Mm-hmm. Yes, like a ball. Uh, from 1921. And that's how we end the movie. So Jack was there in 1921, but he's also there now in 1980, we're assuming modern day. Um, So you have two Jacks and two Grady's. So Grady, there's the name is different, Charles Grady and Delbert Grady. And maybe there's the version of Grady, who is Delbert Grady, the guy from the past who worked at the hotel, working, serving drinks. And then there was 
I return Grady. Grady returns as Charles Grady in 1970 and kills his wife and kids as the caretaker because he's always been there as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. So these these people somehow like reoccur. Yeah. Or like return like reincarnations or something. I don't know. Is there anything else on that 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 you know anything about? I don't know anything other than what you've already said about that. Like, yeah, that. I mean, I'm just thinking that. Yeah, it's like it. It, it like replays. Like, yeah. kind of over and over again. Yeah. Just kind like of like you get like, stuck yeah, like there. A, some like, sort of yeah, weird like loop. loop. Yeah. yeah. At this point, I feel like Dick is trying to get to the Overlook Hotel. Like he's reached out to these um, the Rangers, and they can't get through on like the CB or anything. And, like, finally, I think he just has on a plane and is on his way there. Yeah, he's trying to get there to, to save the day. That's because Danny's called him, right? Mm-hmm. He's, like, yeah. spoken to him and said, yeah. He's summoning him yeah, through The yeah. Shining to arrive there. And, yeah, there's, like, uh, gosh, you know, Jack is doing his he's doing his, his stuff around there. He's uh, KDK1 calling KDK12, and uh, they're trying to call her because Dick's requesting yeah. that they call the, uh, the radio at the hotel. But Jack hears this going on, and he's like, nope. And he goes in and he plucks these little pieces out of the radio. It's no longer working. Mm-hmm. And he also smashes the snowcat device that uh, they could use potentially to yeah. escape So at this point, I feel like Jack is, like, completely gone. Yes. Like, he, he's definitely working against them to yeah, keep them there. He's, like, uh-huh. no longer... He's no longer, like, playing nice. No, The hotel has overtaken him at this point. Yeah, he's no longer Jack Torrance at this point. He's Hotel Jack at this point. So, yeah, you can't... He's, yeah, he's totally, totally sucked in. Yeah. Well, you, of course, have the scene. And I don't remember which comes first. The scene where Wendy is backing up the stairs in the Colorado Lounge, away from Jack, who, after seeing what he had typed on the typewriter. This is what he's been writing all these months. <laughs> Wendy's like, holy oh, shit. shit. Something is not okay. Because what is he typing over and over and over? Again, another thing that in pop culture has become like such a, a reference. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And over and over. 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 Doing formatting on the pages. Pages. Yeah. And Nicole said, like, I wonder who did that. Because at that time, there was not word processors. No. Somebody had to type it. Somebody typed it. I think it was Kubrick's secretary. Yeah. And I think, doesn't Vivian say that it was like, Weeks or yeah. like a month, like she weeks, spent typing this. Yeah. Weeks, maybe over months. Over. Yeah, that, because you know, there's no Xerox now. No, or then. well, there there may have been, but yeah, yeah no, these were typed pages. So yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, his his secretary just kept kept doing it. Poor thing. Months. I hope she got a bonus. I <laughs> hope so too, Nicole. Although you know, Kubrick probably said, "No, this is not good. Do it again." I so yeah, in, Wendy sees this like, "Okay, you know, Jack is he, no. This is we're getting the hell out of here." Yeah. So yeah, and she has that bat. She has that bat, and mm-hmm. I just always think, you know, I, I played softball. Like she could have swung better than what she does with yeah. that little. She's, she's, Kind of gripping it in a weird spot and yeah. taking these little short these swings little at him, like, swings. like, get away, get away from me. 
right. and swing and just, that sucker. You right. know, aim for his head and face and hit him with it. But yeah, what is, I didn't write down the quote, but I feel like I should know it uh, exactly. But what does he? What does he say to her? What does he say to her when he's going up the stairs, pursuing her? Basically, he says, "Wendy, darling, light of my life, I don't want to hurt you. I just want to." Bash your brains in. Oh man, yeah. And when your husband says this to you, yeah. yeah what are you thinking? Yeah. Then not, you then you take your bat and you smash him she first. Start, you know, she's backing up and she's like, she's like, I'm confused. I need to go back to my room and <laughs> yeah. think about it. I don't. The time is over. And is like, that is that what he's saying? Basically, the time is over for you to go back and think about it. Oh yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that's pretty pretty much the end. But I do like how she says, "I just." I, I'm really confused, or whatever she <laughs> yeah, says. That's what she it's says. Like, I'm really confused. I don't know. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's well, really. It is probably, it's like if you went nuts and started doing that, I'd be like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, yeah. I guess and I, I hesitate think to hurt you too. Prior, pr- yeah. yeah. <laughs> Prior to, uh, to this is when this scene, uh, this scene happens. So you've got Danny who. Is he's in the room with Wendy in their bedroom apartment, basically, and Wendy's sleeping, I think. And Danny starts, you know, he wakes up and he's walking around the room, grabs some of her lipstick, and writes something on the door. And this too, of course, is very is very famous. This is is so funny because you in Tony's voice, Tony's voice, and uh, it gets increasingly louder. Yeah, he's quiet, red rum. Red rum, red rum, red rum, red rum. Yes. <laughs> and Wendy wakes up, and Danny's got this knife, and she's like, "What? The what heck? is going on?" Yeah. You know? Like, and then of course, what does she see reflected in the mirror? Murder. Murder. Yes, red rum backwards, of course, is murder. murder. And yeah, so this is like, and yeah, why is it? Why is it backwards? Why is it red rum? Is it because like Tony is like a reflection of Danny, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, that's, yeah. I guess, what it is. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and that, I think, actually happens before she goes to confront uh-huh. Jack. Because, yeah. yes, that's when we see Danny in the room, again, like, freaking out because of what's happening with his parents. And then uh-huh. she goes down to tell Jack, you know, to find Jack and say, we gotta leave. We gotta yeah. get yeah. Danny, we gotta get some, Danny help. some help. Yeah. But that's when she sees, sees the, the papers. papers. Right, yeah. exactly. Papers. Yeah. So see, she does end up hitting Jack and, you know, kind of getting away, at least in the moment. Well, yeah. he falls down the stairs. Yeah. Yes. Now, what she should have done was taken that bat down there and just finished him off. Finished him <laughs> off. should have done, right? Crush his brains, Nicole, right? Yeah, but I mean. See, she miss, she, she's doing the best she can and she hauls him, which I'm like, okay, she's strong enough to haul a man. A man? I mean, (laughs) she seems so frail. Scrawny, scrawny Shelly Duvall dragging a man. Scrawny Shelly Duvall dragging a man to the, like, pantry and Uh locking him in. Locks him in the pantry. I'm like, you at least should have tied him up. Or something. Yeah, you know. Like, you know, at least locks him in the pantry. But, yeah, what, uh, what happens in the pantry then? He is locked in there and he's talking about, you really hurt, you hurt my head. And, uh... It's a fake out. It's like... He's trying to get sympathy. Yeah. He's locked in, but, you know, there's all this hotel stuff going on, you know. So, Grady, who's 
always been there, mm-hmm. comes and unlocks the door. And yeah. you're like, how, who, how, who did that? And, he, and you're like, <laughs> did, a, did the hotel let him out? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, hotel let him out. And Grady's like, yeah, he's like taunting Jack through the door, basically oh. like, well, look, you know, this predicament you've gotten yourself into. Yeah. I would have never let this happen to me. Mm-hmm. I chalked up my kids and wife successfully. What's your problem? <laughs> so, yeah, he's he's uh, trapped in there. And, yeah, that's one of the weird things is like who lets him out yeah. of the pantry. The hotel. And is it yeah. the hotel that does it? And, you know, people theorize like, did Danny do it? Like for some reason. But, yeah, I, I think it's the... The hotel, the supernatural ability of the hotel, the spirit of the hotel allows him to escape, and Mm -hmm. yes, because that's what the hotel wants, right? Yeah, and of course, you know, we then have the famous scene where he's they they've uh, locked themselves in their apartment into the bathroom, and they're trying to get the window open. Uh, Shelley Duvall, Wendy gets Danny out the window because he's a little tyke. Yeah. So gets him out of the window, but then even as skinny as she is, (laughs) she cannot get out the window herself. So she's trapped in the room. And- I'm like, break it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, like, every time, break it. Every time I see this movie, you know you know what's going to happen, right? Yeah. But you're like, break out the window. Yeah. Let's find something and break it out. I said, yeah, why don't you use the top of the toilet tank yeah, and, and smash it open? Out. You can probably bust why the window get, frame out with that. Why don't you yeah. get... Uh, the toilet tank and smash Jack's face in. Well, you could have done that too. The hole. Right. You know, but again, she's she's frail. She's been abused, and she still loves the jerk. Like yeah. you said, she's doing the best she can. I yeah. guess. She's, I mean, yeah. she's that's trying, all she can do yeah. at this point. I guess. So yeah, he of course is swinging his way with an axe into the bathroom, and the camera uh, is nice because it's from the from the side. There's like this side shot. Of him, and each time he swings, the camera pans back with the axe and then moves forward with it to strike the door. So it's a great, great little effect of like we get the the violence of the swing as it's like back swing and then swing into the the door. I love it. I wonder how many doors they went through. Sixty doors. Okay, I knew you doors. And yeah, 60 doors. I read apparently that he was like he had been trained as like a uh, volunteer firefighter, Jack Nicholson. So. He actually, like, the first door they constructed was, like, too weak. So he, like, smashed through <laughs> it like, a second. Through it, yeah. And, yeah, they were like, oh, well, I guess we got a better, we gotta know, get construct a, real a better door. door so, here, yeah, so. So was he, was the training part of his, like, getting ready for the movie? No. Or was this I think it's from before. I think it's from his past okay. uh, when he was, you know, like, a struggling actor. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think he was probably just a volunteer firefighter at some point. Yeah. yeah. And I think it was three days Three days to shoot that. To three shoot days. That. 60 dollars, wow. three days to shoot that. Oh, scene. my gosh. So, yeah. But eventually, they get out of the situation. How does Wendy get out of the bathroom without being killed? She stabs him. Well, Wendy and Danny are going to try to escape in the snowcat. But the snowcat has been destroyed by Jack as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, they get separated. What happens with... Uh, Wendy and Danny, that well, Danny's already outside. So he's outside. But then he comes back in. He comes back in because he ends up getting under that uh, he goes cabinet the with kitchen. the pans yeah. in the kitchen. He goes in the, yeah, he goes to in the hide. Uh-huh. But Jack, of course, he's still coming for him. So, yeah, he ends up then chasing him out into where, Nicole? The maze. The maze, yes. I'm like, all those rooms to hide in in this hotel... And you pick the kitchen, like 
Doesn't it seem like you should just you know pick why. some weird remote room and hide out in? Poor Danny. I, do you think Jack would have been able to find him wherever he was? I because think Because the hotel so. yeah. like, was, guide, was guiding him. him. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to help him get there. Yeah. And in the meantime, Wendy, she's seeing all kinds of crazy shit all over the hotel. So let's talk a little bit about some of this crazy shit that's going on. She sees... A costumed critter. So I feel like this trauma that she went through has unlocked her shining. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. That's kind of mm-hmm. my theory anyway. Because I haven't seen any of your, you know, shows uh, extra that show theories. So <laughs> yeah. this is my theory that her trauma, this, this being a trauma, has unlocked more of her ability. I feel like that's probably mm-hmm. yeah. right. Yeah. 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 And, yeah, she sees that costume critter, like, yeah. going down on some hotel guest up in a hotel yeah. room somewhere. And, like, down the hallway. And, and that's weird. It's that's weird. pretty weird. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know exactly what's going on with that. I think that, too, is in the book. But it, this kind of looks more like a bear. I think in the book it's more of a dog or something, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. that's in there. So. And it was like, I think the person who's uh, being treated... Um, is, uh, like, the hotel owner or something at some point? Was, like, yeah. the owner of the hotel was, uh, yeah, getting the deed done. Okay. Um, so, yes, a very, very kind of awkward uh, situation yeah. for Wendy to uh, kind of encounter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she does see poor Dick Halloran, who we didn't mention, arrives at the hotel and is almost immediately killed. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. He's, like, done away with in seconds. Right. Uh, he's walking through the hotel looking like, for somebody. Like, why would you call and, like, walk in like that? You know something's going on. Yeah. But he conveniently brought another snowcat. Jack, <laughs> he does He does bring the snowcat. But, yeah, so Jack immediately axes him and does yeah. away with him. So she sees poor dead Dick there, too. There's the wounded... Great party, isn't it? Guest who's uh, who's standing there too. But was he also supposed to be some sort of a former owner of the Overlook? I I thought maybe it was Grady. Maybe was it's it Grady? Grady. I don't know. I yeah. So you got this wounded uh, guest there. You got the whole cobwebs and skeletons, yeah. which looks like they're like old guests. And I think Grady is a part of that too. Mm-hmm. Like there's a Grady skeleton there or something. And then of course she finally gets to. The bloody elevator. Yeah. Blood pouring out of the elevator. Which, now that too was a notorious uh, situation because uh, they couldn't get it quite right. So uh, how many blood. times did they have to do that? So apparently it took like, what, like nine days for them to set it up each time. Oh, wow. But I guess like it took pretty much a year or two or something to like get that <laughs> to right. get that right. So I guess yeah. at some point probably, I think it was done in three takes is yeah. what they said. Yeah. But... I think, like, they probably just got sick of trying it. So, they're like, you know what? Let's just do that toward can, the end of the shoot. I mean, can you imagine nine days to clean up that Nine days to clean everywhere? it up and set it back up. Uh, well, know? that really should have just been done at one take. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it, it How wasn't How bad could one. it have been? Right? One and done. <laughs> but, hey, three is better than, you know, like hundreds. Hundreds, yeah. 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 It could have been, yeah. like, you know, 20, 30 years yeah. to make it. Yeah, that's right. The movie could have taken that long. <laughs> Think about that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so Danny could have been, like, to college. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, so the hedge maze, of course, we have... Jack chasing Danny through the hedge maze. And Danny boy! Stuff like that. He's completely like out of his mind. Um, 
So he finally, Danny, has the brilliant scheme where he's going to erase his steps in the Mm -hmm. snow, the salt and styrofoam. Yeah. Uh, So he, yeah, uh, backtracks, like erases his steps in the snow and then hides and... What what happens to poor Jack? What happens to him? I guess him? he gets lost in the maze and freezes. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly right, Nicole. Because at the end, that's like what we see at the end is Jack frozen, solid in snow or something, and ice yeah. out there. I feel like Jack's mistake here was leaving the hotel. Because I yeah. feel like while he was in the hotel, he, he had that protection. protection. He had the power and the protection. Right. You're right. And yeah. then once he left... Yeah. You know, and, and Danny had been in this maze several times before. Yeah, that's true. You know, with yeah. Wendy, they, they you know, so I feel like he kind of knew what was going on with the maze. I felt like Jack had never been in there before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Jack he did never took look the time in there. But Jack yeah. did look at the model of He did look maze. at the model. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that cool scene where, like, yeah. there's the model of the maze. And I love a diorama, as you know, yeah. Nicole. Yeah, if you go yeah. to a museum and yeah. they have dioramas, I like to study yeah. them. Oh, yeah. But he yeah, takes so, pictures of them. Yeah, take everything. pictures of the dioramas. But, yeah, so there's this, yeah, great, like, you know... Uh, map of the the hedge maze and like a little model and and he kind of like you know like is like lording over it like yeah. looking down and it's a it's such a great shot where it's like right in the center of the maze and like how do you do that yeah. and i didn't i didn't you know think about it until maybe like uh the past couple of viewings watching the shining but like yeah it's so high like how could that possibly be just some sort of a crane shot from a camera right but it's a um, set so you, you said it's a- yeah it's like superimposed they use like the model but then like the middle of it the portion where they're walking in the middle like they actually constructed that outside of an apartment complex and then i guess like shot it off the roof of the apartment complex just straight down and then superimposed it like into the maze for the the shot in the movie which is like uh, just a cool camera trick yeah and you have to think about you know now this would be nothing to do this oh yeah yeah this is 1980 1980 you can't just do that with cgi do it you know you can't create entire worlds with cgi like everybody does these days so yeah it's a very very different filmmaking experience in 1980 something so so simple today those tricks with the camera are like gonna be lost yeah it's kind of a a shame that you know know. lost uh lost art uh, of uh yeah camera tricks and things like that yeah and how would the shining have been if you know there was cgi at the time and there were the topiary animals and the whole hedge maze just never existed yeah Yeah. see i don't know a whole different movie right i feel like it's uh you know it's good as it is i feel like uh yeah yeah, we should we should leave it alone yes but of course stephen king he might disagree because that's why they ended up doing that miniseries right but Uh yeah so gosh you know we've talked about the shining for a long time here and why why do you think this is your favorite horror movie? Why do you think that is? I feel it is the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. It is the score. It is the immenseness of it. It's epic. Yeah. It's yes. Huge. Everything about it. At the the hotel itself, and it's like all these different pieces mm-hmm. from all mm-hmm. these hotels yeah. to kind of just mashed together into this yeah. craziness really i yeah. mean i i think all three i'm gonna say three 
all three main characters, their performances were really they're, good. Oh they're, yeah, they're all fantastic. fantastic. You can you can argue that you know Jack Nicholson's already crazy before he gets there, but, but you his, know he's still some great of his in the movie. Faces and side eyes, and he just looks manic. Yeah, and yeah. just. Like, he, I think this, he's Jack Torrance. Yeah. In my yeah. mind, yeah. I think he's Jack Torrance. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Wendy, too. You know, like the deterioration of that character because mm -hmm. of the uh, verbal abuse from Stanley right. Kubrick. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, yeah. Uh, but really, you know, like, like her I mean, saying, I'm so confused. Yeah. Like, she probably she really probably was. was. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. 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 Who, who knows how many takes that scene was? Yeah. I don't know how many takes, uh, takes that one was. But, uh, yeah, think about how many times she had to do that, going yeah. up the stairs backwards, uh, basically fighting Jack like that. Yeah, so, uh, gosh, yeah. A lot going I th on. I think that was actually in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most takes, but... The cameraman on the film said, no, that's incorrect. The, the, it was inaccurate. only like, I want to say it was like 35, 45, something like okay. that takes okay. for that. So, yeah. Yeah. So, gosh, you know, The Shining. Definitely uh, definitely an, uh, an epic movie. I have to agree with that mm -hmm. Newsweek, uh, Jack Kroll or whatever his name was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely uh, something, something special. And as many times as I've seen this movie, like... I'm still, yeah, like, you know, talking about the movie, I wasn't, I wasn't confident about it. There's just, like, so much going on in the movie. Like you said, there's kind of, like, this uh, immenseness to well, it. Do you it really you, is. Do you think you find hidden things oh, every yeah. time you yeah. watch it? I think though? so. I And you I know? think that's part of the, the charm of the movie is, yeah, like, Kubrick really did hide all these things. And it's I think layered. that's why. Layer. There know? is, like, this, this weird cult following around, like, what The Shining really means, you know. And that's what that documentary-ish thing called Room 237 is all about. Like, these weird theories that people have about Stanley Kubrick and The Shining. And, like, yeah, even before it, Room 237 came out, that, like, uh, I, I don't remember when it was, like... Um, you know, early early two thousand something like that. I'd be like looking around on the internet, and you go down these weird rabbit holes. And back then, it was like it was like before YouTube. You'd have like weird rabbit holes of like message boards and forums, mm -hmm. and like I would find these message boards, and they'd be talking about how like all of this uh, Native American influence in the movie and how it was and they mentioned this in room 237 too about like the genocide of the american indian mm -hmm. is what uh the movie's really about and you would they would take you know like elements you know like all of the uh, native american decor in the movie things like that and they take the scene where jack is throwing the tennis ball at the native american artwork in the colorado lounge and they're saying See, this is Stanley Kubrick, like, attacking the Native Americans. Mm -hmm. A white man attacking the Native Americans, throwing and hitting them with a tennis ball. But then later we find out that, oh, that was actually Jack's idea to throw the tennis ball at the wall. Yeah. So that probably kind of disproves that. Yeah. But, yeah, so how much of this is, like, real and, like, how much is not? And, like, the guy in Room 237 is talking about the, what, the uh, Calumet... Uh, is it like baking powder? Yeah. And yeah. yeah, like they're positioned just properly in like the pantry. You can see it, you know, the right way. It's right behind Dick Halloran's head. Mm -hmm. So that means this is about the genocide of the Native Americans. Uh, and yeah. And then, I, and then it's like later on, you can't read it anymore. Yeah, like they're like, turned they're like incorrectly. And like, so you can't oh, read gosh. them all. And that's behind Jack's head. So this is showing the progression of the the 
terrible acts against the Indians as yeah, the yeah. as the movie goes along. And like, is is any of that true? Like, does I, any of that mean anything? I don't. I don't know. And that's the problem. Is I, you know, it's a lot of theories. You know, right, right. you also have the theory about like Stanley Kubrick helped the United States government helped NASA fake the moon landing. Okay. So basically, he's the one who like shot the footage of. The astronauts on the moon. I wonder how many takes it took. Yeah, it probably took a lot of takes, right? So, yeah, there's that whole theory. And, you know, that's proven in The Shining as well, of course. Mm -hmm. Because Danny's wearing an Apollo 11 sweater at one point. So, that proves it right there. And room 237 is the moon room, is how a guy describes it on there. that's That's why he says that... They change. They add. That's the actual reason why they changed it to two thirty-seven. Mm-hmm. Is because the distance because to the moon the is like two hundred thirty-seven million miles or whatever it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So. So yeah, it's like. So some of these are coincidences. I feel right? like they're probably coincidences, maybe. Or Nicole, did he really? <laughs> I don't know. What were some of the other things? What's the other things on um, uh, room two three seven? One of that the other things like? is uh, Holocaust. Oh the yes, Holocaust the Holocaust is as well. Yep, that's one of the things that uh, yeah uh, gets kind of uh, brought up and fixated on as well. And yeah, um, gosh, that one too. And you know they they make some valid points with that too. You know, like this mm-hmm. could mean this, and Stanley Kubrick is Jewish. You know, like yeah. and yeah, I guess you know like he had been planning on doing a movie called uh, the Aryan Papers. Uh, and he had worked on that for a long time, but then Stanley, uh, Steven Spielberg ended up making Schindler's List, and Stanley Kubrick said, oh good, now I don't have to do that. You know, somebody else has already made uh, a movie about the Holocaust, yeah. and now I don't have to yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But, but I can't remember specifically what they, yeah. what was it that pointed it toward the Holocaust? I can't, I can't yeah, I can't, I can't recall what they, what they say, uh, you know, in the movie. There's, like, uh, a few continuity things, and, like, they're saying, like, uh, you know, in Room 237, the the movie, they say that, uh, you know, these continuity things mean something. Like, in Danny's room, there's a little sticker of Dopey, Mm -hmm. the dwarf, uh, from Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, on his door. In one scene, it's there, and then after... Tony shows him what's going to happen or things that are at the Overlook. When we come back out of that room, uh, Dopey's gone. And they're theorizing that that means that he's been awakened. He's no longer a Dopey Dopey. kid because Tony has, like, made him realize what happens. And, like, is that real? You know, come on. Oh, gosh, it's hard to say. There's a chair continuity in one of the Uh scenes, too, that they talk about. There's a chair behind Jack in one scene, and then it's gone in the next. And, like, somebody says, this is uh, Stanley Kubrick having fun with the horror genre, saying, you know, like, uh, you know, in a horror movie, stupid things like this happen. And, like... I think in any movie, like that happen. (laughs) I think that might be just, again, trying to mess with you and make you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Like, you don't really notice that necessarily the first time you're watching mm-hmm. it or the 10th time mm-hmm. you're watching it yeah but your mind picks that up and like, like the tv cord yeah. yeah and and some of the windows like being at weird places yeah the impossible and, window that's yeah. the thing that uh, yeah. uh that they, they mentioned as well somebody one of the people in room 237 like was trying to basically do a map of the overlook and the way they had it laid out there's this window in ullman's office that it can't be there like there can't be a window there 
Uh, but it's there in the movie. So it's just like one of those things that's supposed to like, you know, mess with you as you're watching it. Like, mm-hmm. uh, boy, this is a weird window here. And uh, yeah, <laughs> What's yeah, this window? Yeah. How does this, yeah. And that same person also like starts like obsessing over like these minotaur images, which like, yes. I yeah. thought was a little strange. But like, yeah, she thinks that the skier on a poster in the game room looks like a minotaur and then across from that there's like a bull or something on like a Mm -hmm. bull riding poster i don't know and then she's saying you know like jack is like the minotaur uh, because of the hedge maze and like i feel like you know maybe you're you're stretching things a little bit with some of these connections like because to me that looks like a skier on the poster it doesn't really look like a minotaur and i think for most for most normal people. For most people. Uh, that just looks like a ski. <laughs> but, I mean, she does point out the part where he's, like, looking out the window at him. And yeah. he's got his fit. Like, he looks bull-like, she yes. said. And yeah. when he's looking over that model of the hedge uh, maze and they're in the center, like, he's the minotaur because he's, he's big and, you know, over, in charge. Yeah. And, yeah. I do feel like that hedge maze, when he's looking over it, it feels kind of like... He's a, a god on Olympus looking down. See? You know, like, I do feel like You got that. it, Nicole. Yeah. He's a minotaur. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, there. yeah, all of these things. So, Room 237, it's interesting, but it kind of wears thin. Like, yeah. I kind of get tired of it toward the end. And some of it is just like, my goodness, people. Like, uh, and hey, you know, like, I'm glad that they're having a good time with it. You know, and like, they're so fascinated with The Shining. Like, that's great because there's a lot to be... Uh, you know, fascinated about. There's so much going on there. And yeah, so many things you could try to look at. And I think that's, you know, gosh, like the staying power of The Shining is, uh, yeah, there are all these weird things going on. And it's just a movie that like, it just makes you feel uncomfortable. It's a weird movie. It really is. Uh, That's how I always feel whenever I watch it. Like, uh, okay, I want to watch The Shining, but man, it's gonna, it's gonna, you know, make me feel weird. Yeah, like, I don't know. So, yes, I guess, like, the question that we're asking with this episode and the two movies that we're talking about is uh, overexposed and overlooked. So The Shining is the one that fits in the overexposed potentially. But that's the question we're asking because of The Shining and, like, all of the pop culture references, because of, like, this Room 237 and, like, all of these documentaries and things that you know, are talking about The Shining, board games, action figures, things like that. Is The Shining, at this point, in pop culture, overexposed? Or do you think it deserves all of this notoriety that it gets? I think it deserves the notoriety, but I think people need to watch the movie. Because I don't, I feel like people might know where some of these, um, pop culture references come from but they've not necessarily taken the time to watch the movie right yeah what do you think so, so maybe they think they know the shining from everything that they're seeing but they haven't actually seen it haven't actually experienced seen it. right yeah. Yeah. so i mean it is a fantastic movie right i mean but when but but when you're looking for things like me if you're a stephen king fan and you're looking for things from movies to buy like you know you want a shirt or you want whatever 
you're always going to find stuff from The Shining. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Other movies, not so much. You know, like if you're going to try to find something from Carrie that you're going to buy, how many things are you going to find? You know, how many It's Carrie, definitely more limited. How many Carrie things do I have versus Shining things? Yeah. You know, like there's everything. There's rugs. There's blankets. There's phone yeah. cases. There's, it's everything. 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 And of course, the, the carpet that's on the your shirt right now. Is, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the things from the movie that's been marketed. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, so. It's, it's a beautiful carpet. And yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and clearly, you know, your favorite horror movie of all time. And, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. like, I don't know where this falls, like, in mine, but it's like, it's up there. I kind of say, you know, like, is it overexposed? And yeah, you know, it probably is, but it also, like, deserves it. Like, I mean, it's really good. Like, right. yeah. I mean, right. uh, it's pretty incredible. So. I mean, when you think about this movie, what what else compares to this? Like, what can you come up with that's similar in scope to this movie? Yeah, I don't I don't know that anything else really feels the same. Like, you know, you have like Doctor Sleep, the sequel that you know tries, but even it doesn't capture it's, it's it. It's not as big, right? It doesn't capture it quite as well, right? So for me, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, nothing kind of feels quite the same to me. It really doesn't. Uh, even like, you know, you could take like something like It, which is like two movies, the theatrical version of, of the It adaptation. But like even that doesn't feel like the same to me. It just doesn't have like the hotel. I think the hotel is just such like this uh, overpowering menace. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just so huge. And you never really get to see all of it. So I think that's part of the allure, too, is, like, you always want to know more. You want to find more. You want to keep digging through the Overlook until you see everything, but you can't. Because it's limited to what is there on the screen. So that's why I think so many people keep, you know, digging into it and yeah. searching for more. Because they want more. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's just kind of this weird mystery of the Overlook, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Like, what really happened what to really Danny happens? in yeah. room... Yeah. I can never remember the movie. 237. 237. Yeah. But yeah, so the, yeah, theories of like, you know, sexual abuse too with Danny that I've yeah. seen, you know, and like, I can definitely see that. And I don't know if, you know, Kubrick's really hinting at that or not. It's possible. Uh, you know, a lot of things can be read into The Shining. And I think that's like, that's that, like I said, that's like the appeal. That's uh, yeah. kind of the allure because of it. There again, what other movie are people reading all these different things into yeah. like this? Like, it's totally separate things that yeah. have nothing to do with one another, but people are seeing all of these things yeah. in this movie. So as much as, you know, Stephen King may not like this version of The Shining, I mean, you know, Stanley Kubrick, he pulled off a pretty sensational version of The Shining. I agree, yeah. So I don't think it's overexposed. I love it. <laughs> but probably overexposed. <laughs> So we're all amassing it? Definitely oh, amassing yeah. yeah. Okay, let's amass it. Okay, right. definitely. Right. Yeah, that's good. didn't 
We didn't say. And thank you, Amy, also for joining us for our discussion of The Shining. Uh, because, yes, I, like, like I said, I was you know, overwhelmed. I was terrified, very intimidated by The Shining. So one thing we didn't mention that I always think is very funny at the beginning of the movie is Wendy, Jack, and Danny, they're driving to the Overlook. They're driving uh-huh, up that crazy, uh-huh. windy road. And Wendy says, Jack's driving, and Wendy says to Jack, hey, wasn't it somewhere around here that the Donner Party got oh, you know, yeah. snowbound yes. you know, somewhere around here? I did think this was funny, too. <laughs> it's so funny, yes. I can't believe we forgot to talk about it, but there was so much else going on with yeah. The Shining. Jeez. So, he's... Yeah, he, he talks about so how... So, Wendy, Wendy's the one who brought she, it She up. brings it up. But then Danny asks, you know, like, and, and uh, no, and, it, well, Jack says, you know, like, no, that was, you know, further west somewhere in the Sierra Nevadas or something. Yes. And then Danny said, uh, what, you know, what's what, the, what's the Donner Party? What What is that? Uh-huh. And Jack describes it, and he says that they had to resort to cannibalism. Right, right. Had to resort to cannibalism. To stay alive. And Wendy kind of side-eyes Jack. And Danny said, you mean they had to eat each other up? And then, yeah, when he's like, Jack. Yeah. Jack. And 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 Danny's like, it's okay, Mom. It's okay. I know all about cannibalism. I saw it on television. (laughs) I saw it on TV. And Jack said, see, it's fine. He saw it on the television. (laughs) <laughs> but it's such a, and he's got like this, like, gleeful look, Jack, about yeah. him when he's talking about cannibalism to Danny. Yeah. yeah. And and that's what you always say when you see that scene. I think he liked telling he, Danny he about cannibalism. Telling he liked telling his kid about telling. that. This episode is all about one movie being potentially overexposed. Overexposed, The Shining? We kind of answered that. We talked about it. That, yes, it's probably overexposed, but for good reason. For good reason, sure. And this movie, Nicole, is the opposite end. Is it overlooked, Nicole? Is this one an overlooked movie? Okay. And what what is this one? Also from 1980, Nicole. So, The Changeling. Oh, that sounds interesting. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Well, so, so we've got The Shining and we have The Changeling. Right. Two the single word movies. The and then a single word. <laughs> that is correct. So The Changeling, Nicole. This one was released actually before The Shining, but it comes second in our episode. See, it's being overlooked again, Oh, Nicole. my gosh. March 28th of 1980. Nicole. This one is rated R. And I questioned, should this movie really be rated R? There's not even that much profanity in the movie. It's very light. There is a murder. There is a murder, but like... And some people die in a car accident. Yeah. I mean, come on. What's the body count in this movie like? Two? Three. Three? Yeah. You know how many were in The Shining? How many? I think it was two. You think it's more, but it's really only two. It's really only two. That's right. And then in The Changeling, you think there's three? I think there's three. Hmm. Okay. I can't remember. One, two, three. But (laughs) one, two, three. So this movie runs one hour and 47 minutes. I still don't know why it's rated R, Nicole. This on IMDb is listed as a horror mystery. IMDb, a horror mystery, Nicole. Its budget, approximately... $7.6 million 
Canadian. So, <laughs> this is a Canadian production. So, what does that translate to in U.S. dollars, Nicole, from 1980? I have no idea. I don't either. So, we're not even going to speculate or talk about it. But I bet it's less than at that point. Yeah. But it's less than. So, the director is Peter Medak? Medak? I'm not sure how it's pronounced. M-E-D-A-K, Nicole. Directed a movie called The Ruling Class in 1972. Uh, a movie that I remember watching in 1993 called Romeo is Bleeding. And the sequel to Species in 1998, which is called, oddly enough, Species <laughs> 2. Yes. Uh, the writer of this movie... The story is by one Russell Hunter. And we're going to get back to Russell Hunter because that's kind of an intriguing, interesting part about this movie, Nicole. So he gets the story credit. The screenplay is done by William Gray and Diana Maddox, Nicole. Do you remember how this movie kicks off, Nicole? What happens at the beginning of this movie? Because you forget the intros to a lot of movies. Are you going to remember this one, Nicole? I think it starts off with John. John. John and his wife and daughter. You're right, Nicole. Yeah. John, his wife and daughter. They're pushing And they're a car. going to the Overlook Hotel is what it looks like because yeah. it's snowy <laughs> and this is a bad snowbound kind of road. They're not going to the Overlook. Going to the Overlook. But they are trying to go skiing. Trying to go skiing at the Overlook Hotel. No, no, no. They're just trying to go skiing, and they have car trouble, and they're pushing the car, like, off to the side of the road. Pushing the car. And George C. Scott plays John, John Russell. George C. Scott, in a lot of movies, just kind of seems like a grumpy old man. He's kind of a gruff kind of guy. Uh, As, like, General Patton in the movie Patton, he's certainly a gruff guy. So, you know, he's in a lot of these movies. He's very austere. Yes, and, you know, (laughs) he's just a... A rough and tumble kind of guy, I'm Nicole. Sure. So, but in this movie, you know, he's pushing the car, and it seems like, you know, if you're pushing a car, you had car trouble, trouble, car trouble, you would be kind of grumpy and pissed off. I know I would be. But he's laughing. But he's actually, like, kind of joking around and laughing. Because yeah. like, his, his, you know, his wife and daughter are kind of, like, and daughter, making yeah. fun of him yeah. or something. And, you know, it's like a, a light moment despite yeah. the car trouble. Yeah. Right, Appa? Yes. So... They're pushing the car. There's this phone booth. You remember phone yeah, booths, Nicole? Phone booth. There's a phone booth out there, and it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. So I think this is like one of those things where in the story people are like, oh, that's stupid. There wouldn't be a phone out there, and there are no phone lines going to it. But, you know, it's probably like a buried yeah. phone line. So, you know, it, you know and it's I, probably a prop phone booth anyway. Sure, but, yeah. you know. So there's a phone booth out there. He's going to go make a call to get some emergency services right. to come and help him out. And there's this big dramatic setup, Nicole. Different camera shots, cars coming, cars approaching, different angles, and what his, happens? His wife and daughter are smo- snowball fighting. They're starting to have a snowball fight. And um, they're not really watching no. the traffic. They're having fun. And they're there's not fun. that much traffic anyway right. because it's a snowy road. Right. But these two cars... Just so happens that some kind of truck and a car... Coming along. At the exact moment that they're passing, slip, slips and kills There's the, a smash the up. and daughter. Yep, a smash up and they're involved. Yeah. And they're crushed. 
presumably we don't right, see it right. because you know you have these deaths, Nicole, but you don't see them. Right. You just know that. You know what they happened. They died. Yeah. You know this happened. So anyway. But then we cut to the like you know the changeling. Like, yeah. That's that you know. And then that we go, was the lead in. We we jump ahead to I'm not sure how many how many months we go into the future here. Uh, not that long. I. I think, right? It's yeah. You, you months, still see know. him at his, like, family's, like, apartment. And he's packing up. Everything's being packed up because he's going to be moving. Sure, he's going to have to move. He's moving out. So, he's a composer and he took a job to teach music. Took a job to do a little teaching, Nicole. Right. And his friend, he, he yeah, he's having, I don't know, um, a little get-together with a couple of friends. And one of them says, I know someone who works at the Historical Preservation Society. They rent old houses. Maybe they have something for you. Right. Because he wanted, like, a big old house that big he could house. just pl- pay, play music. He can just pound away on the piano. Right. Because he's, a you know, the composer. He's and the composer. he, you know, needs to have... Music space. Music space. Yeah. Yes. So, anyway, he gets a big old house with a music room. Gets a big old house with a music room. Trish Vandeveer plays the character Claire Norman, who works for the Historical Preservation Society, and finds this house for him. And she says that she specifically thought of this house because it has a music room in it. Sure. And... You know, it, it makes sense for John to have a house with a music room yeah. in it. And did you know, Nicole, that at the time of filming The Changeling, George C. Scott and Trish Vandeveer had been married for eight years. Really? I didn't know that. Yes. And I and, and I didn't realize that either. And, you know, looking at the movie, they do have a, a chemistry, a chemistry. About them. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, married couple, married for eight years, Nicole. Well, he moves into this old house, Nicole. And he's playing the piano, just trying it out. There's a piano in there. He's trying it out. Did the piano come with the house? So I think a piano came with the house. I think so. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So he's playing it, trying it out, gets to a certain key. I don't know what the key is. And it sticks. It sticks. It doesn't really work. Yeah. He's like, hey. It's like something's wrong here. He taps it a couple of times. And then Mr. Tuttle, Mr. Tuttle's kind of the uh, guy who's, Kind of managing like a the caretaker, upkeep, yeah. caretaker, kind of like Jack Torrance in the uh, hotel at the Overlook there, <laughs> oh, the Overlook man. Hotel. But Mister Tuttle, played by Chris Gamble, he comes and says, "Hey, there's some guy here who like is checking on a delivery of a water storage system or something." Like I don't know what the hell that is. I'm glad we didn't have to get that when we moved in here, Nicole. But he gets up and leaves the room with Mr. Tuttle. They leave the room. Yeah. And we go back to the piano, Nicole. And suddenly, the key on the piano that didn't work is now depressed. And what happens? It works. It works, Nicole. Yeah. It works. Yeah. So like, A musical note is played. We know right away something's going on. He doesn't necessarily know anything's going on yet. No. He doesn't know anything's going on yet, Nicole. Yet. But something is clearly happening. And the house is beautiful. The house is a beautiful, historic, Old historically house. preserved yeah. house. Uh, preserved by the uh, Historical Preservation yeah. Society, Nicole. So, John, he goes to this class. He's going to be teaching this class up, up the college. And they told him it's going to have like... It's supposed to know, have like 23. 23, 23 students. students. So, he goes in and, I mean, this, this... It's an amphitheater. Yeah, it's like... Yeah. It is completely packed. 
And he walks in, and he's like, he's very, uh, very dry. Yeah, he's very dry yeah. about it. And says, uh, uh, yeah, you know, like, uh, to my knowledge. Me, they told know, me yes, that there was only going to be 23 20, people. 23 students registered for this class, so. It's my understanding that there are uh, 23 students registered. <laughs> for this series of lectures on advanced musical form. Uh, we all know that it's not raining outside. And unless there's a fire in some other part of the building that we don't know about, uh, an awful lot of people here with nothing better to do. They'll laugh, they'll get a kick out of it yeah. because, you know, he's, he's showing some humor. and He's, again, this very serious, stern fellow. Yeah. Uh, but he starts playing the piano. And they like it, Nicole, when sure. he plays the piano. Yes. We are introduced to a senator, Senator Carmichael, at some sort of a musical fundraiser or something. Uh, John goes there. I think he's invited there or something. He sees Claire, Claire Norman, Trish Vanderveer, his wife there, even though they're not married in the movie, Nicole. But he also meets her mother there, Mrs. Norman, played by Madeline Sherwood. And Nicole made this kind of like a joke, like uh, how, like the age, like, oh yeah, Mrs. Norman looks like age. she's probably like a little bit younger than John. And then her daughter, you know, like looks, uh, you oh, know, yeah. a lot I younger. Did. I'm like, they all kind of look the same age. Or... But Trish and George are married, Nicole. <laughs> That age gap, Nicole, you were disturbed by it. No, not really. I didn't look it up. I forgot to check and see, like, what the age gap really was. But, yeah, so this Senator Carmichael, you know, he's a politician. He's doing his talk in there, trying to get his constituents riled up and reelect him or whatever the hell's going on. So we meet that character. So put that in the back of your mind. Sure. That we've met Senator Carmichael, Nicole. So back to the house. This is the important element in the movie, isn't it, Nicole? The house, there's this weird banging going yeah. on. He banging wakes up and pounding. Hearing this weird banging sound all around the house, yeah. and you can't kind of get away from it, Nicole. Bang, 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 bang. Like a hollow bang. Yeah. Yeah. And what is that, Nicole? We don't learn till later oh, what I it see. is. Okay. Yeah. All right, so we'll figure it out at some point. So, John, he's playing the piano. We see him playing the piano, and the, the door opens on its own. So we're yeah. definitely thinking something supernatural is yeah. going on in here. There's something going on. He, he's got a haunting for sure. Yes. A haunting is going on. So, like, the banging happens again, and the faucets are running. Yeah, the banging happens again. John, he, he has this, uh, this situation. Well, he goes... <laughs> He goes riding with Claire because she's wearing like a... Uh, riding outfit? Riding outfit. Thank you, Nicole. A riding outfit. Like riding a horse. Like jodhpurs. And... Not riding a motorcycle. Right, a Riding horse. a horse. And he says something to her. You're know, like, uh, oh, you know, are you going riding? And, and she's like, yeah, yep, going riding. Do you ride? And, and then they cut to them riding, and it, it just makes me laugh because it's just uh, very amusing to me. Like, <laughs> do you ride? And then they're riding. There they go. There they go. And there's this happy music playing. But yeah, I guess 
John's daughter, who died in the car accident at the beginning of the movie, Kathy, she rode horses. So he has kind of this breakdown after this where we see John crying. We see John crying in bed, but then he's interrupted because that pounding, like you said, starts again, again, Nicole. So the pounding starts again, and Tuttle comes to look at it. Mr. Tuttle's like looking around like... Uh, I don't know, something in the pipes, you know, maybe there's yeah. something going on in the pipes. You know, it's it's an old house, Mr. Russell. It makes noises. It makes that's noises. That's what old houses do. Yeah. They make noises. And that's not the only sound. Did you mention the water? So, yeah, the wa- he walks in, the water faucets are running. Um, he's tub filling with water. Tub filling with water. Trickling water noises all over. So one time he's outside and glass breaks from the inside out. He he bends down and picks up the little shard of glass. And he looks at it and he says, this is glass from this house. And he's looking up and he sees, he does, he spots the window. He does, but there's, he does see in the tub a ghost boy. Yeah, he, he does. saw a ghost he, boy in the tub. You're Nicole. right. You're right. So he goes to talk to Claire about it at the historical society, and there's this woman there, Minnie Huxley, played by Ruth Springford, Nicole, and Minnie tells John that Claire rushed the papers through on this house. Yeah. She didn't go through the proper channels, according to Minnie, and she says the house, that house is not fit to live in. It doesn't want people, Nicole. That's right. So after that interaction, wouldn't you, you know, you know it's haunted for sure. You might think twice about spending another night in there. But not John, no. Not John. Because like you said, yeah, that glass breaks up and he's, it breaks out of the window. Yeah. And he's trying to figure out like where it came from. Right. So he goes looking for the room and this room he can't find it. He can't find it. So he does he he does notice some discrepancies when he's looking at, you know, the doors and he finds a, a like boarded up room in a in a pantry. Yeah, there's like a pantry yeah. closet there and he sees like a door frame behind the shelving. Yeah. So he breaks oh. into it and it's all padlocked. And you know that's bad when there's like a room that's like boarded yeah. off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he breaks the padlock and... Oh, yeah, and he's hammering at it. He's hammering it with a hammer. And the pounding starts again. And it's so loud, Nicole, so loud that it's hurting his ears, Nicole. He has to hold his ears to stop the pounding from overwhelming him. Overwhelming, Nicole. He ends up then trying to ram the door with his shoulder. Mm. Mm. And he does it a couple times, like you just did on the chair. And then, Nicole, it just kind of seems to open on its own. Yeah, it just kind of... just kind of lets him in. Eases open. Why don't you just come on in, John Russell? There's a set of stairs, Nicole. Because... Like a dirty old set of stairs. Even Because it's not been opened in, like, forever. Even creepier than a hidden room is a hidden room with stairs leading to it. Yeah. An attic room. Right. So, he goes to check it out, Nicole. Cobwebs up there. Lots of cobwebs all over the place. And he had been writing 
a piece of music, Nicole. Yeah. Composing a piece of music. He composed a piece of music and it was pretty, like it sounded like a lullaby. Yeah, we and, hear him doing a little recording yeah, of it. And yeah. yeah, it's really nice, Nicole. But yeah. what's the weird thing that he finds in the attic? So in the room, it is like a, a child's bedroom. So it has like toys and a bathtub and and on the mantle of the fireplace there's a music box and when he opens it it plays the lullaby it plays that song he thought he wrote that he was composing yeah there is a little wheelchair yeah a little wheelchair up there as well yep and he finds this this little journal or something that has like some initials on it and it's kind of a uh a red herring nicole yeah a little bit of a red herring on that one it is but he does after this he's able to track down the family though from that journal well sure yeah but after he uh the music box after the piece plays he talks to claire about it and he says you know like I, I swear I've never heard this music before. I've yeah. never heard this before. And he said, for it to be on a music box, it would have had to have been really popular at one point. Yeah. You know, to make it onto a music box. Not just any song ends up on a music box willy-nilly, Nicole. <laughs> so he's making this argument that he thinks the house does Sent want it. people. That it's trying to communicate yeah. with them. That's what he thinks. He does. It, and he gets... Um, he gets obsessed kind of with the uh, the finding out the story. He does, yeah. And the house is communicating with him. And yeah. it's not malicious. Not malicious as of yet or anything, right. certainly. We find out in his investigations that, yes, there was a 1909 newspaper that he looked at on some microfilm, microfiche, Nicole, yeah. in the local library, which we still need to go... Uh, see if we could do that for fun ourselves. Just go look at old microfiche just for the experience, Nicole. So there was a, a child that died after being being hit by a coal cart, Nicole. And in he, the really, he really he really um finds like uh similarities between that per that child and his daughter. His own daughter, yeah. Kathy, who had getting died. Getting hit yes. in a vehicular accident uh-huh. accident. Yeah. Cora S. Barnard, that was her name, Nicole. So he's thinking maybe there's a connection between Cora and Kathy because of his daughter's death. Well, we also find out hmm, that Senator Carmichael, the Carmichael Foundation, gave a grant for the house to actually be purchased by the Historical Preservation Society. So here's this Carmichael guy coming back into the story again, Nicole. Well, Johnny goes back home, and something comes thumping down the stairs. That's right. Rolling down the stairs. So, and he'd packed this, and we saw him pack this at his old house. It's a toy of Kathy's. It's a ball. A little red and white ball. A little rubber ball that Kathy played with. Yeah. And yeah. he had it in some sort of a, uh, what, like, like a, a secretary like a or secretary something? Like a secretary furniture piece yeah. of furniture. He had it in there, but now it's upstairs rolling down the yeah. stairs. He didn't put it upstairs, did he? No. Someone did. Someone Nicole. did. Someone did. He's kind of disturbed about this whole thing. Yeah. He gets the ball. He drives to some kind of river or something. He throws it into the river. And this is in the middle of the night, of course. Yeah. Throws it into the river. He's littering, Nicole. And for his littering, he is punished, Nicole. Because he gets back to the house 
walks in the door, and what happens? It comes thumping down the stairs again. Thumping down the <laughs> stairs again, and this time it's wet, yeah. Nicole. The ball is wet yeah. because it was just in the river, but somehow got pulled out by some sinister spirit, Nicole. No. No? Not sinister? I don't think this is a sinister spirit. Oh, all right. If you say so. Well, well, we're going to find out. So, he, of course, in, you know, this is 1980. Yeah. To investigate a situation like this, what do we have to have, Nicole? Oh, you have to have a seance. You have to have a seance, Nicole. That's right. So, There's always a seance, and it's always a bad idea. Somebody knows somebody. There is a parapsychologist played by Barry Morse, and there's a medium, Leah Harmon, played by Helen Burns, Nicole. This, I think, is probably the most dramatic scene in the movie, Nicole. Because you have John, you have Claire, you have Claire's mother is there, Mrs. Norman, she's hanging out there too. You got the parapsychologist, and you have the medium. They're all around this table, because that's what you do at a seance. They're all around this table, and she has... Pages. She's doing some like ghost writing. Yeah, some pages, and she has you know a pencil that she's working with, and she just kind of like has, has a motion loops. that she does, kind of doing some loops, and she'll ask questions. Right? Yeah. She's asking questions. Yeah. To the spirit, some spirit in the house that's causing all of this ruckus. Will you come through to us? Will you speak to us? We are here to help you. What is your name? And as she's writing stuff, the parapsychologist is like, sliding her hand onto a new page and right. reading off the old page. When one page is like filled up with scribbly circles, then he'll hand her a new page. If she breaks a pencil, if she needs a new yeah. pencil, he'll put a new pencil in her hand, things like that. Yeah. So he's the assistant here. So he's he's helping her out, but certain questions, she'll get an answer for them. Yeah. Like who are you trying to contact? John. So like specifically talking about John. So they're like, yeah, like the medium's like writing out, you know, the like these yeah. certain words that we can read. So we do see this happening in the moment. It's action packed, Nicole. Very exciting. It's it's actually a really good seance. Yeah, it's like it's, it's, yeah, one like of the better said. movie seances. I think so too, because yeah. it seems to be a little bit more uh realistic, a little bit it's, more it's not it as it takes itself more seriously. It's not as so showy. Right. It's it's more it, it 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 just seems realer. Doesn't feel like quite as much hokum going right, on here, right. Nicole. Well, after the whole writing situation, because at one point she freaks out and kind of gets exhausted and like that's done. Yeah. So they bring out this cone, Nicole. This big like I don't know what it's made out of aluminum or something, some sort of metal cone or something uh-huh, that they put uh-huh. on the table. And I was like, what the hell is this cone thing? What's this cone that the medium is using? Apparently, Nicole, this is called a trumpet or a spirit trumpet, Nicole. And what it is supposed to do, it's supposed to amplify the voices 
of the Dead. Okay. And we're recording this on a tape recorder, classic oh, reel-to-reel right. tape yeah. recorder. Well, because John's, you know, a composer, he has all this um, tape. He's got some tape, yeah, because yeah, he was recording his yeah. uh, composition earlier that was then in the uh, music box. So, yeah, as, as we're doing all of this, it's being recorded. So, we do know that, because the medium writes it out, that Joseph wants John's help. We know that. But John goes back later to listen to the tape, Nicole. He's going back to check on the tape. He's just curious about it. He's got a feeling. Right, right. He just wants to listen to the tape. So he listens to it. And we hear... A child's voice. A child's voice talking on the tape, Nicole. Yeah. And it says that its name is Joseph Carmichael, Nicole. There's that connection again. The Carmichael. Carmichael. That connection is going on. He lets Claire hear the tape, and she's like sobbing because, yeah, this is very... So basically, he lets on that he was murdered by his father. Right. You know, on the tape. Murdered by his father on the tape, Nicole. So beyond this, we get more events that these this ghost joseph who lives in the house is you know trying to get attention that wheelchair that was in that upstairs room makes an appearance at the top of the stairs and it's kind of it kind of chases claire cobwebs and yeah Yeah. it does chase her like uh and makes her fall at one point so yeah i I feel kind of like the 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 entity likes John, but he doesn't really like Claire that much. Yeah. And this this uh, Joseph ghost, it does it does seem to get frustrated too with yeah. John. And John also gets very angry with Joseph the Spirit yeah. at one point too. And is like shouting because he's like, you know, what do you want from me? You know, what uh, what do yeah. you you know what are you trying to get? So Minnie, who we said works at the Historical Preservation Society, well, she gave John's name to Senator Carmichael and said, hey, you know, like, this guy's kind of like digging into, digging into some things. So, so again, we feel like something, something's happening. Something's going on, yeah. Nicole. So we find out through, again, like research in the area that there's a house that I guess was like a... Um, a ranch or something, part of a ranch house that used to belong to the Carmichael family or right, something right. like that. So there was like a well there, some kind of a well. And apparently uh, Joseph on the tape maybe mentioned something about a ranch and a well, I think, yeah, right? Yeah. So that's where John's trying to piece together these elements mm-hmm. using, yeah, like again, you know, like uh, uh, the records, records. Uh, records office in town or something. Yeah. We do find out, because they go to see this house that was built, essentially, now over that well. Right. It's kind of like the ring. There's, like, this well under the, under under, the, under house. the house. Yeah. So, yeah, the uh, the woman who owns it is kind of like, you know, I would just, I would just, you know, run you out of here. You know, like, immediately. I'd just say, like, get the hell out of get here. Get the hell but out of here. on the same night that you said that you had that seance, my daughter said that she thought she saw some sort of a boy trying to come up through, through the floor, the floor yeah. Nicole. And she won't go in the room. She won't pretty, go in her room. Pretty chilling stuff. So then, 
we jump ahead and she's like, let, you know, let me think about it, whether or not I'm going to allow you to like dig, dig up, my, up floor, my house, dig yeah. up my house and look for this yeah. well. So it doesn't take long. It's like that night, basically, that like her daughter sees the ghost boy again yeah. trying to come up out of the well. So they they agree to do it, Nicole. So yeah. he, he goes to check out the well and she and like this someone's son, this woman's son or something are like digging up the well and digging around in there and finally he sees something nicole what is it he finds the little boy's skeleton it's a hand yeah so yes there's a hand down there it's a hand and he finds the hand they call the police the police come and check it out and they're like why were you digging around down in this well why were you looking for this well anyway and he doesn't want to say anything uh you know he doesn't want to you know put himself out there too much i guess is kind of what it is Especially with Senator Carmichael possibly involved. He does try to approach Senator Carmichael so, later. Because we got in the back, dirt. I was going to say, you got to backtrack a little bit. Because he goes back to look again. Joseph tells him, like, in the in the audio. Yeah, on the tape. His medal. Yeah. He needs his medal. That's another thing, is yeah. that uh, it's mentioned that there's a medal that he's piecing together, too. And John goes back to look for it in the dirt, in the well, and he can't find it. He's struggling. But the metal rises out of the dirt. Yeah. Supernaturally, Nicole, on its own. On its own. So, he grabs that, he brings it, and he's trying to, like, charge at the senator when he's getting on a plane. And, yeah, you know, that would never happen today, like, security. But, and even then, you know, security, you know, stops him from getting to the senator. But, as the senator's on the plane... He reaches into his shirt and he pulls out his medal. His own medal that That's looks right. identical. Identical. Nicole. That's right. So, I don't know. You know, this is a movie that not a lot of people have probably seen. We right. do feel like, you know, maybe this is, you know, a movie this that is, a, is overlooked. It is overlooked. Bit. And I will say it's kind of a slow burn. It is, yeah. It's, this is, it's, uh, yeah. It's, it builds. Uh-huh. It for sure builds. There's not a lot of action. Right. Uh, Other than like the seance scene. Yeah. And, you know, a few things here. A few and, like, and you know, uh, it's, instances it's of like little, haunting. A little haunting. Sure, yeah. Sure, it's yeah. a little haunting. There's I some things like that going on. I wouldn't say that it's frightening. You're not scared of this at I'm all. I'm not. No. Some people say that this is very scary, Nicole. Some oh. people think it's very scary. Uh, I know that uh, Martin Scorsese, the director, has this like on his like list of like top 11. I think it's weird. I think it's like a top 11 horror movies of all time. Really? And this is on it. And I, I know that uh, I read something in the research for this today for the recording that when uh, Nev Campbell was uh, filming Scream, the original uh-huh. Scream, that I guess they were just kind of asking people, yeah, what horror movies do you like? And this is one that she said, you know, like terrified her uh, um, was the Changeling. So some people so go, think it's very scary. I don't think it's scary. You do I not. think, what I, do you think? I just think that he he asked John for help. I feel like Nicole thinks that it's more sad than scary. I do too. I feel because like Nicole's very emotional. I feel like it's very touching. Yes. It's a, a sweet haunting. A sweet little haunting. Yeah. No one dies, but people do but die. But do people die, yeah. And there are scary situations that happen, but not in Nicole's opinion. She thinks it's very <laughs> sweet. And she would move into that house with Joseph Carmichael in a second. Sure. Well, 
So, a couple well, things, But he wasn't Nicole. buried there. Oh, well, no, I know. I'm, I'm not saying that he was buried there, but... But he was there. murdered there. Oh! oh! He was. Well, Nicole, that's something that the listeners can watch for in the movie on their own. And we won't go into the, detail, the okay. details about it. Senator Carmichael is played by Melvin Douglas. I think this is one of the last movies that he ever did. Along with another horror movie, oddly enough, called... Ghost Story, Nicole, that followed this. Also, Nicole, uh, one thing that, uh, I I don't know, it just amuses me, probably no one else in the world, but there is a captain, a police captain, Captain DeWitt, who shows up later in the movie and ends up in a uh, grisly little accident of his own. Oh, there's four four deaths. See, there's another death. See, you forgot about it. Well... That's probably why the R rating, because you get to see him after. So many deaths, Nicole. Come on, this sh- it still didn't deserve an R rating. And, you know, maybe the it's like child death. Maybe that's why it got an R, oh, R rating. Maybe. That's my guess, maybe. Playing Captain DeWitt is an actor, John Colicos. I'm not sure if that's how his last name's actually pronounced. But whenever I see him in this movie, I'm always like, hey, I know that guy. And you know why? Because he played Nicole, a Klingon agent. <laughs> In the original Star Trek series, Nicole. A Klingon. Hey, you were a Klingon. Yes. I was going to talk about a little bit. Russell Hunter. You remember when I mentioned uh, Russell Hunter, Nicole? Yeah. So I was watching one of the bonus features on the Blu-ray release that we have of The Changeling, released by Severin, Nicole. And on that, there was this weird little thing about like a true story. Nicole, true, true story, story. of the Changeling. And I was like, what? Like, I don't think I've ever heard this before. And I hadn't. So I watched it. And the guy who's doing, like, the presentation about this on the a bonus feature on the Severn release, he's a very eccentric kind of fellow and has this very unusual way of talking. So just him uh, in itself was, like, pretty entertaining. Yeah. But he's spinning a yarn about Russell Hunter, a writer from the Chicago area who moved out to the Denver area, Nicole, to a mansion called Henry Treat Rogers Mansion in, I'm not sure if it's pronounced Cheeseman, Cheeseman Park in Denver. Is it Cheeseman, Cheeseman Park in Denver? Anyway, this area of Denver, Cheeseman Park, and moves into this house, and essentially, the story of the movie, The Changeling, is what happened to Russell Hunter in this mansion in Denver. What? It's pretty much the same thing. So that's... Russell Hunter gets the story credit for The Changeling. Yeah. That's because apparently this really happened to him. It's a true story to him. So it's a true story. This is like a haunting... And so many of the elements are the same. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you'll just have to watch the movie to figure out what happens at the end and everything. But, uh, and yeah... The house, the mansion, Henry Trick Rogers' mansion, no longer there. Apparently, it was uh, demolished. Uh, but yeah, Russell Hunter, this was in the 1960s that he was there when this incident, Nicole, this haunting occurred. But yeah, the, uh, the house is gone for some reason. Huh. Why would it be demolished? I don't know, but uh, it is gone. So, that's the changeling, Nicole. What do you think? You said this is a sweet little movie, not scary at all. Nicole's not scared of this one at all. But Nicole, she's not scared of anything. She's too tough. So, Nicole, would you amass the movie? I would amass it. Would you murder the movie? I would amass it. 
I I really like it. I think it's a very good little movie that uh-huh. is overlooked. I do too. I think a lot of people don't want to watch it or maybe... <laughs> they just don't want to watch it. I, like, you know, maybe it doesn't appeal to them. Yeah, and I think what it is, is it's not really flashy. Other than that seance scene... Yeah. It doesn't have a lot of, like, 80s flash to it. It's really kind of right. an understated little movie. Yeah. And I think for people who like hauntings, movies about, like, hauntings, movies about ghosts, this is a good one if you haven't seen it. I've talked to a lot of people that like those kind of movies. Yeah. Uh, our friend Miles, he always uh, talks about the uh, the Changeling, how he likes yeah. it. And, yeah, it's a... Uh, a classic ghost story. Yeah. Uh, a very good kind of like ghost movie. And there aren't, I feel like there aren't a lot of good ones. So I think that because of that, this one a lot of times, uh, in as far as like ghost movies, really for people who are fans of the genre, it does get elevated because of that. Just because there aren't a lot of that, a lot of ghost or movies like, that are taken seriously. Or a ghost movie that's not turned into something like more... Like over the top and like silly. Like over the top. Yeah. For, yeah. you know, sensationalism. Right. Sure. And I think this one is, yeah, it's just like uh, presented in such a, like a, I don't know, a realistic, just kind of classy way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, the change like Nicole. It's a classy ghost story. A classy little ghost story, Nicole, from 1980. <gasps> and, yes, yeah, so um, I'm going to say, yes, it is overlooked. I feel like it's a shame that it's overlooked. Yeah. So, uh, listeners, if you haven't seen The Changeling, I challenge you to watch it. To watch you should it. go watch The Changeling. Sure. Starring George C. Scott from changeling mean nicole what does that even mean like in a fairy tale yeah. a changeling it's kind of like uh folk tales nicole yeah little folk tale folk tale fairy tales right chaka that's right a changeling is a replacement <gasps> a replacement well listeners we challenge you to uh find out the true meaning the mystery of the changeling uh, and uh, since this is our closing now, Nicole, we're, yeah. we got to wrap this thing up. we got to wrap it up. We wrap talked about uh, The Shining for about seven hours. So, my goodness, uh, we gotta we got to wrap it up. Chaka's really soft. Oh, I, you know what else I forgot to mention about The Changeling? Is that Joshua Jackson, the actor, Joshua Jackson from Dawson's Creek, you know who he is? Yeah. And he's, he's done some other things. He's in some kind of a uh, fatal attraction series like uh the movie fatal attraction but now it's like a series version he's in that anyway i'm I'm probably not gonna watch it i'm just saying that i know he's in that right now so he appears in the changeling nicole apparently as an infant weird yeah weird he's in the changeling 
as an infant, Nicole. And I, lo- I saw that on IMDb, and I was like, huh? That's weird. I don't even remember an infant being in this movie. But I guess there's one in there somewhere, Nicole. So, let's talk about my top five movies. Horror movies from horror. 1980. Let's just okay. stick with horror movies. Okay. Because otherwise we got to get into, like, you know, The Empire Strikes Back, things like that. This is a horror. We're not going to do that. We're, we're sticking to horror. Let's stick with horror. Top five horror movies from 1980, okay. Nicole. So my number five is a movie by Dario Argento. <laughs> Nicole. Have you heard of him? I, I've never heard of him. Okay. We did do an episode about Dario yes, Argento in January. Greg. But, uh, yes. So, the listeners, you can go find that episode in the archives. <laughs> stop, Craig. Just stop. Number five is Dario Argento's Inferno. Inferno. Inferno is one I think sometimes gets a little overlooked as far as the Argento movies. Not as well known as something like Suspiria or Deep Red. It's not as well known as those. But Inferno is technically the sequel to Suspiria. So it's like the second in the witches. The second of these three witches, Nicole. The three mothers, as they're called. So... Yes, Inferno, not as good as Suspiria. I'm not going to try to argue no. that. I don't like it as much. But there are some very nice elements to Inferno. Some also elements that bother me. There's like some cats that get put in a sack and this guy tries oh, to drown them in the river or let's something. Let's not talk about Let's that. not talk about that part. But there are some some really like gorgeous scenes and some of the uh, the lighting filters are there again from like Suspiria, some very bright, vibrant colors in the dark. And it just looks beautiful. And the score is by Keith Emerson of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. And man, it's just really nice too. It's really great. So Inferno has some really nice things going for it. So if you haven't seen Inferno, I think you should uh, take a look at it. Take Nicole. a take a and look. Maybe we'll cover it at some point here on the uh, podcast. Okay. Well, number four, Nicole. Number four. I can't make fun of you for Inferno. Inferno. Yeah. Number four is the original Friday the Thirteenth, Nicole, <laughs> from 1980. Because my God, that has to make my top five. I guess. So. But I only had it at number four. I don't have it at number one. I'm not being really crazy about You're it. You're just kind of being predictable. Uh, yes. And, I mean, well, what do you want me to do? You want me to not put Friday the 13th on the uh, list? I, I don't know. It's not going to happen. I guess not. not going to happen. So, it's number four, Friday the 13th. We have an episode about that, too. My God. Just go listen to the episode, listeners. Everyone knows what that is. Number three, we have not yet covered on the podcast. Okay. Maybe we will at some point. This one, I think doesn't get the credit it deserves because of the movie that this same director did before it. John Carpenter, of course, in 1978, directed the original Halloween, Nicole, which was such a smash hit as this little independent movie, a big-time smash hit, and everybody's like, oh, this John Carpenter, he's a director on the rise. This is yeah. fantastic. Is fantastic. Well, then he makes this movie, Nicole, in 1980, which is number three, called The Fog. And The Fog, I think it falls into the same problem that happened. <laughs> this is going to be such a weird like connection. Arnold Schwarzenegger 
with Last Action Hero trying to follow Terminator 2, okay. which was such a big success, and yes. then everybody was like, this isn't Terminator 2. Uh, no, it's Last Action Hero. It's yeah. different. This it's... is a different thing. Not everything can be Terminator 2, which I actually like the Terminator more than Terminator yeah. 2, Nicole. But this, this same thing happens. The fog, my gosh, it's just not Halloween. So everybody was like, well, you know, okay, the fog, this is fine, but it's no Halloween. And, you know, that's not fair. That's not fair to the fog. The fog has a lot of nice little creepy scares in it, set in that weird little town. Where is it? Off the coast of Oregon? Or is it Washington? It's over there somewhere in the northwest. So it's a little town over there. And this one day in April, this anniversary comes around. And this fog rolls in, and these creepy pirate guys start sneaking around the town, killing people, Nicole. <laughs> and they're ghosts! Ghost pirates! Ghost pirates! And they're after their gold, of course. Of course. Of course they yeah. are. So, the fog, number three. Yeah. Uh, one that I feel like uh, people should check out if they okay. haven't seen. There's a remake of The Fog as well. I don't even think I ever bothered watching it, because I was like, uh-uh. It's not going to be John Carpenter's The Fog, <laughs> so just forget it. But I hope John Carpenter got some cash for the uh, the movie. For the, the name, uh, the yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that was number three. And number two and number one, those are just movies that we just talked about on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Now, which one is number one and which one is number two? Oh, come on. We all know what number one was. Number two is the... The Changeling. Yes. I tried to trick everybody to think it would be The Shining. Know. But no, so see, The Changeling gets overlooked again because The Shining is overexposed at number one, Nicole. <laughs> so yes, The Changeling at number two, and I have The Shining at number one for yeah. my personal top so, five. So you're like, but that's good. The two movies that we talked about Two movies that we covered are, are number one, one and two. two. And that's not always going to happen with no. the, the rest of the 80s episodes, Nicole. But yeah, so... Uh, my goodness, one that just missed the cut uh, was number six, I guess, is Maniac, directed by William Lustig. And that movie, at special effects by Tom Savini, is one that I've never had you watch because it's one of those movies that it makes me feel dirty. Is that? I think. There is a remake that you've seen okay. called Maniac, starring Elijah Wood. And it really is basically the same movie where there's this creepy guy that has these mannequins and like dresses them up and stuff and then goes after women. He's just kind of a creep, Nicole. Yeah, yeah. But Elijah Wood stars in a remake of Maniac, which is, uh, I don't know, late 2000s, yeah. early 2010s. But Elijah Wood's good at being a little <laughs> good creeper. He's good at being a creep. Yeah. A creeper. Yeah. So other movies, Nicole, from 1980 that we didn't include. I didn't include in my top five. Maybe you would have included some of these. Uh, City of the Living Dead from Lucio Fulci, which we've talked about before on the show. Altered States, which I need to watch again at some point. Alligator, Nicole. Cannibal Holocaust. I'm not watching that. You're not going to watch that. Cannibal Apocalypse. I'm not watching that. Which is a very different kind of movie than Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, much more tame. My sister Amy, The Children, that is uh, what she says is pretty much the first movie 
a horror movie that she's ever seen. Contamination, also known as alien contamination, we covered a few years ago, has that weird moaning egg. Yes. That's right. Fade to Black is kind of a uh, a little creeper, a little uh, one of those ones too that maybe a little bit uh, overlooked. Nicole, The Monster Club. Starring Vincent Price Vincent in the Price, wraparound. Yeah. It's an anthology. I love that one with the goofy musical interlude. I do like that, like when they're at the monster bar. Yeah, the monster club. That's monster. what it's called. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Come on now, Nicole. <laughs> So, yes, uh, maybe we'll talk about that one at some point because, man, it is a hoot, Nicole. Motel Hell is a movie that I've been trying to talk about on the podcast literally for years, and I can never seem to work it into the damn A to Z festival where I want to put it. There's always something else that usurps it, Nicole, usurps it in the (laughs) letter M spot. And then a couple of movies that we are going to talk about at some point, Prom Night and Terror train those two are in like a list with another movie for a specific episode that's going to come up at some point nicole many other horror movies from 1980 those are just some of the more notable ones nicole okay okay so listeners what do you think of craig's top five nicole didn't seem to hate it too much. i don't hate i don't hate it no she didn't hate it she wasn't no. hating on it but listeners yes do you have other movies horror movies from 1980 that you would prefer yeah. if so let us know. Matt from Iowa. Have you? Do you know Matt from Iowa, Nicole? I do know. Well, Matt from Iowa, he was kind of curious about something. Okay. First of all, he, he congratulated us on uh, episode 100, uh, by the way, Nicole. He awesome. Did, uh, he thought that was, uh, that was great, uh, 100 episodes. But, yeah, so he basically saying there's some horror movies, shows, video games that have part of the story as like a conspiracy, like a government conspiracy, for instance. And he's curious if, you know, do you find that you view these kinds of movies and media differently in the last few years because of like COVID and everything that happened with the pandemic, vaccine conspiracies, election conspiracies, all this kind of shit that's been going on. Uh, in the country here, newsworthy items that maybe aren't really newsworthy. And, you know, I I kind of, I, you know, I was thinking about it, and, you know, it is, you know, like an element in a lot of, uh, a lot of shows, a yeah. lot of movies, these kinds of things come up, uh, conspiracies and stuff. And, you know, I do feel like it is something that uh, bothers me more now. <laughs> like, in the past, I think maybe, you know, movies like that would be kind of intriguing sometimes like okay you know like yeah there's this conspiracy that might be interesting right yeah but now i don't know i think because of the reality the unfortunate reality of it i think now it just kind of like makes me feel sick like it makes me feel like uh like i'm going back to like the uh, lockdown or something you know and i don't know i don't want to think about that i guess yeah i feel like that was a uh troubling time in my life nicole so i don't really want to like Go back and relive situations like that. So I think, yeah, I think Matt, you know, said that, uh, you know, he he feels like, yeah, he kind of uh, looks at them, you know, different uh, differently than he used to. And, you know, I I feel like I I do as well. You know, it's like a uh, 
Uh, I, I think so you I don't want to watch like a movie like virus or contagion or yeah. you know like might uh, yeah might just be too upsetting I don't know so yeah I feel I told him I feel like I have like a mild form of like PTSD from uh, you know my experiences <laughs> working retail during uh, the pandemic the height of the pandemic yeah. you know like uh, bad times Nicole that was not fun not fun at all well you kept working yeah I kept working yeah. and uh, yeah uh, what I learned is that people out there are uh, jerks are yes. jerks Selfish and crazy jerks and they're psychotic <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yes, and I better stop right there, Nicole. Yeah. I've just offended half the listeners. Well, that's uh, oh, okay. No. We're not talking about you. Oh, no, no, <laughs> absolutely not. So, anyway, yes, uh, goodness. That, uh, yeah. Matt, I feel like I'm triggered by that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Set off. Like a time bomb, like Nicole. Like a time bomb. Well, Another thing that's going to alienate the rest of the listeners here, the other half of them, and we'll be gone after this too, is I guess I'm going to do the longest day again this year, Nicole. Okay. Remember last year for the uh, Alzheimer's Association, I did the longest day. I did a marathon, a 24-hour marathon of movies for the longest day, which is the first day of summer, June 21st, the day with the most light. Uh, in the year so you know it's a day that you just you just stay up because there's extra light so you just stay up all day this time I'm not gonna do I'm not gonna do a full 24 hours because it was I just felt like you it went was just too a much. little nuts it was just too much so I think I'm gonna start you know something like 8 a.m and just go until you know like after midnight or something like that okay that'll be good enough so how many movies will I have I don't know I haven't figured it out yet but I will probably post something about, you know, like uh, trying to get donations. If you feel like you can donate, you know, $1, $2, $5, $700, you can go ahead and make a donation. That would be nice to support. Uh, It's to support Alzheimer's research, uh, Alzheimer's and dementia. Not even just Alzheimer's, uh, dementia as well. Every type of dementia. Every type of dementia. Because Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. Right. Yes. So that's what we're trying to do with this, Nicole. And you might watch some of them. Who knows? Maybe you'll check some out. I don't know. Well, Nicole, so, yeah, if you're interested in supporting that, listeners, keep an eye out on social media. There'll probably be some posts on there about that. And if you're not interested in it, that's okay. Just uh, ignore it. Yeah. Yeah. Where can the listeners find us on social media? Facebook. Facebook, that's on the page. A Cure for the Common Craig. Instagram. Instagram, you can find us there on Cure for the Common Craig. And our website. And the website is cureforthecommoncraig.com or commoncraig.com. And the only thing we have there is an archive of the old episodes, so go listen to them all, all, all. (laughs) Now, Nicole, next year, which is actually the next episode, okay, is 1981. Yes. So for 1981, we're going to have a couple of movies that aren't very well known. At least as far as, as far as kind of like a general, a the general, general public, public. Okay. may not be as familiar with these two. Cool. But hardcore horror fans, well, you might know these. Know. You might know these, okay. yeah. There's one I cannot wait for Nicole to watch. 
because, man, it is fucked up, Nicole. Oh, no. So get ready for this one. It's not Cannibal Holocaust because that was from 1980, so you don't have to worry about that. This is 1981. I just get up. I just get up and leave, Craig. I'm not watching it. I'm not watching it. I'm looking forward to watching these. We don't have all of the movies on the shelf yet from the move, so I'm going to have to dig these two out. They're in there somewhere, so we got to find them. And it's about damn time to shove those movies anyway. That's right. Got to get to it. Well, all right, listeners. Nicole, what do you want to say to them? Thanks for listening. Good night, listeners. Thank you.